Books, booze, and B-movies with your favorite tipsy cuties. What's up, pod people? I'm Sam. And I'm Katie. And this is Real Lit. Yes. We cover classic literature and under-discussed movies. I am an English professor in community colleges here in California. And I am your resident cinephile. I watch all the movies. You've heard me talk incessantly on all the other podcasts. Welcome back. How quickly would we get slapped with a lawsuit if I started singing California? Here Here we come! come. (laughs) Oh, fucking fire. Nobody would sue us because the, what is that? The OC? Fire. Fire. They should they would they should appreciate us giving them that throwback. And everybody loves that show. Oh Even if you God. say you don't like that show, you're lying. You're wrong. You're, or you haven't seen it. You, either, that's okay. you haven't seen you it to start. You either haven't seen it or you're lying. Listen, I own the DVDs. Uh that should tell you something. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's so good. Sandy Cohen is fucking dad goals. Bro. He's the best television dad. In existence, and I'll fucking fight anybody about it. Yeah. Gallagher. Peter Gallagher is just... Peter Gallagher. Oh, he's on another level. And all of the things happening in that show. Just my heart. Oh, it's man. wild. That show's fucking wild, but it's anyway, so good. This is not, unfortunately, the OC Appreciation Podcast. I'm sure that I exists. I just found an... I was going to say, if it doesn't exist, then we need to create it immediately. That's the niche. <laughs> TM, TM, TM. Nobody steal it. Uh, we are be- beginning. No, we're ending. That's the, the opposite finishing. of that word. We're finishing uh, this week what we begin, the last episode, Dracula Spooky. <laughs> Beautiful. Hey. I hey. loved it. No, I loved every second of it. Do that more. I'm having a day, okay? I just need to unwind and be dumb. So you're welcome for everyone listening here, because that is the mood I'm in right now. Finally, after having a drink in me, I'm feeling potentially like I can be a human again for the first time today. Yeah. So... When we left off last week in Dracula, we're just going to jump right in, because why the fuck not? There's so much I have to tell you. There's a re- <laughs> Like, I thought that ending the episode where I did, I was like, yeah, that's about this halfway. It's a great, great ending spot. And then I was Psych. reviewing my notes last Psych. night, and I was like, so much happens oh, yeah, after the back where half? I stopped. No, Why you gotta do I like do you gotta do like two thirds and a third almost mm-hmm. for most books just because of the climax. So and all the shit that leads up to it. Yeah, and surprisingly we'll get there, but the ending is like it takes a long time to get to the ending, and then the ending, even though I will tell it to you in a way that feels like it's very quickly happened it doesn't very quickly yeah, it, happen. It, it drags out it drags a lot in the reading but when we left off last week lucy had died she had uh you know been for what we don't know yet 
been slowly losing her blood, getting transfusions, a whole bunch of them uh, throughout three days or something. More transfusions than any one person should should ever have. In their life, much less in the course of like three days. Yeah. (laughs) And all different people. I mean, hopefully you don't need regular transfusions. And if you do, I'm sorry. Thank yeah, you for listening correct. to our podcast while you get your transfusions. But and man, that that's fucking. I'm sorry, dude. That, that blows. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I got. I donated plasma once, where they like, because when you donate plasma, they like take out mm. your blood and they shake it up and like get mm-hmm. your pla- get the plasma to separate and then they put the blood back in you. The blood going back into you is the weirdest fucking feeling, mm. and I just felt uncomfortable all over as it was happening because mm. it's so. It's such an odd sensation. Mm. I am sorry to anyone who has ever had to deal with a blood transfusion where they weren't anesthetized. Like, I can't. I can't that's no nope, shit. Nope, let's not do that. So that's what Lucy had to deal with. And uh, she dies. And we have no idea why she has died yet. Uh, we have some suspicions. If you're paying attention, if you know, I don't know, the name of this book, you have some suspicions yeah. about why. But we don't technically know why yet in the narrative itself. I mean, and if you were reading this in 1800, you didn't know why. Because yeah, you'd this be on the all, edge of your goddamn seat. This is all brand new information to them. They've yeah. never heard of vampires or any of this before. Well, I mean, they've I'm, heard of them at this point. A little bit, yeah. But, but the, you know... This is the start. The framing that Bram Stoker does of this, the the there has definitely been horror, and like I mentioned last episode, like Camilla, there's been vampire stories, but the way Bram Stoker frames this is very much reminiscent of like a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like Sherlock Holmes situation. You're unfolding a mystery as you read. Exactly. So those blending of genres for the public would have been something that was very avant-garde at that moment for them. Like horror plus that and having like having it get dragged out as rather than having everything all up front at once and then knowing um, all the way what the evil is. Even though you do at the beginning of this book, you it's so brief at the beginning that what happens with Jonathan Harker that it's it's almost like a dream. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the story begins and it almost feels like maybe you imagined that beginning. Yeah. Um, because the rest of it plays out as if nobody knows what's going on because they don't, right? Which is the beauty of an epistolary novel. But anyway, sorry, I got real geeky there for a second. Um, Lucy's dead. And all of the guys who loved her, because, you know, there was three of them, one whom was her fiancé, and then the others that loved her, are real sad about it, one being Dr. Jack Seward, uh, and Van Helsing has just uh, come to Jack's office at the uh, mental institution that he runs and has slapped down a newspaper on poor Jack's desk and been like, hey, look at these kidnappings of kids. They're calling this thing the blue fur lady, which apparently means beautiful lady. Uh, that stealing them and leaving marks on their neck. And Jack is like, well, those are the marks that we saw on Lucy's neck. The same thing must be killing both of them. <laughs> and Van Helsing is like, you're so close, sir. You're almost there. And Jack is like, well, but what do you mean then? I don't know what else you mean. And Van Helsing's like, it's Lucy. Lucy's doing it. 
And that's where I left you guys off, because I love a cliffhanger, because yeah. I am a dramatic bitch. So Van Helsing is like, the same thing is not killing these kids. Lucy is the one that is kidnapping these kids, not killing them. Yeah, yet, the beautiful say. lady. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> so Jack Seward is like, the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> Excuse my, me? My Lucy would never. <laughs> she well, would and also, never. She's dead at this point, you know? Yeah. For him, for all intents and purposes. Even though Jack is not an idiot, you can tell in his writing he has suspicions but he is a doctor and his like intelligent mind really repels the not like empirical, not logical aspects of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's this relationship that he has with Van Helsing where he knows Van Helsing as his former professor when he was getting his degrees. And Van Helsing takes on that role once again with Dr. Jack here uh, because you can see Van Helsing trying very hard to lead Jack to a organic realization and acceptance of the weird things that are happening rather than just outright telling him this is the first moment in the narrative where when Van Helsing clearly knows something and the reader can tell that and instead like usually he alludes to things and just like asks Jack to trust his judgment, and because Jack does, he will. This is the first instance where Van Helsing is like, okay, do you really want to know? Are you ready for me to give you a straight answer? And Jack thinks he is and says yes, and Van Helsing is like, okay, Lucy's the ones doing it. And Jack's like, I changed my mind. I'm take not ready. I'm take not it ready back, for take that. it back, take it back. I didn't want to know. La, 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 I can't hear you. So Van Helsing is like, okay, listen, listen. Tonight, we are going to go to the grave. Listen, Linda. Linda. Linda, listen. Linda, I had a, this has nothing to do with anything. I had an old boss when I used to work um, before I started teaching. And his boss's name was Linda, who also, very interestingly, also happened to be his ex-mother-in-law. And it was his boss, and her name was Linda. And they used to, he used to say that to her all the time in the office. That's fucking it funny. It was hilarious. Because of their, like, weird, like, dual relationship that they yeah. had. He was like, when that video came out was when I was working there. And when it came out and went viral, like, the whole next day, they were both in my office. And Joey just could not stop laughing about it. He was just like, look at this. Like, this is me. This is me talking to Linda. And everyone was like, you're right. You're right, sir. That's exactly what your relationship is. Uh, anyway, okay, sorry. Van Helsing is like, okay, Linda, listen. <laughs> we're we're going to go to Lucy's grave tonight. I'm going to show you, okay? Just trust me. And Jack is like, that's really hard, but okay, sure. So they do this. They go that night to Lucy's grave. She's in a mausoleum, right? So they go, like, like it's an actual structure that they enter, like a building. They go in. Her coffin is empty. Of course it is. And so Jack does not want to believe this. He remains skeptical, like I said, but he recognizes too here that 
even he doesn't necessarily believe his own skepticism. Like, he's like, you're taking the piss out. You're, you're not being serious enough here. When they have looked at the coffin and find that it's empty, they go back outside, outside of the mausoleum, and they find a child out in the ether, I guess, on the ground. And thankfully, this child is not dead, just tranced and definitely with those marks just on fucked its up. neck. Just this kid's fucked they up. They got to this kid before something worse happened. So they make sure that the child is found. They do this by putting the child in a location where they know that a police watch is about to come by. Because, and you have to think about this, if they just came to the police with this child, the police would be like, that's suspicious. You guys fucking attack this child. Lock them up or hang them. So they are keeping themselves safe here. But they make sure that the, they, like, know, they watch the, the police doing their rounds and they, like, slip in in a moment when the police is not there, place the child in the policeman's path. They hang out and wait to make sure that the policeman finds the child. This and is then suspicious they, they as fuck. Right, exactly. Then they leave once that happens. And in the day, they go back to her coffin. And she's now back inside the coffin. Dun, dun, dun. And Van Helsing is like, okay, listen, man. I don't know what else, what proof you need. She's a demon now. Like, I don't know what to tell you. We're just going to have to chop her head off. Uh, stuff her mouth with garlic, and we're gonna have to stake her. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Yep. Things have escalated very quickly <laughs> for Jack Seward. And Van Helsing is like, "Listen, don't worry. I will tell Arthur and Quincy Morris. Uh, Arthur being her fiance, right, or her former fiance, and Quincy the Texan, who's just here. I guess they were all just friends." It's not explained how they were friends, how they met, other than they're all rich, I guess. Sure. So, anyway, Van Helsing is like, I will explain it to them, too. They'll be informed before we all do it. Um, but right now, let's let's get some sleep. And then Jack does go to sleep, but then in secret, Van Helsing goes back in the night, and he puts a crucifix on the door of the mausoleum to make sure that she can't get out, so that she won't um, get another kid, basically. And then the next day, he gathers Arthur and Quincy, and he asks Arthur for permission to do the things that he already mentioned, and Arthur is like, sir, fuck no. <laughs> Absolutely not. And Van Helsing is like, okay, listen, come with me tonight to the tomb, and there, after I show you some things, I'm going to ask these questions again, and then we're going to see what your answer is then. You just gotta trust me, okay? And they're and they're all like, I, I guess, sure, <laughs> whatever, man. So they go, and Lucy's not in the coffin again because Van Helsing removed the stuff from the tomb door earlier that day. So she's gone again. They go back outside the mausoleum and they wait, and Van Helsing seals the door with the the Eucharist. So if you don't know what this is, this is um. If you take communion, if you are somebody who is a Catholic, a practicing Catholic, or some non-Catholic denominations of Christianity still do this and do communion, um, the when you bless the wafers, their their food, there's a little like yeah, I don't know, like wheat wafers or whatever. It's the shittiest styrofoam tasting fucking cracker you've ever eaten in your life. Right. 
but when they're blessed, um, they become, for all intents and purposes, it, as a belief, if as a Christian belief, those wafers are now the body of Christ yeah. himself, right? So this is what the Eucharist is. And this is essentially what he, what Van Helsing seals the door with here. And this is not the first time he's going to use the Eucharist. So just get used to that word and get used to what it is. That's why I explained it right now. Cause it's not the first time or only time it's going to come up. Yeah. So he seals it with the Eucharist. She comes back like out of the like woods or whatever, out of the shadows with a kid in her arms. She's currently drinking from. It is Lucy. So now they see what's what's happening, and Van Helsing shines a light on her, and yep, she's got the blood everywhere on her, and she hisses at them, and then when she sees Arthur, she tries to trance him into coming with her, but Van Helsing stops her with a crucifix, essentially. So she runs to the tomb, but then she gets to the tomb door, and she cannot get in, obviously. Um, because it's been sealed by the body of Christ. So she is even more pissed. And then Helsing is like, okay, now do y'all trust me? Can I, like, gank her? Because <laughs> I need to. And they're like, yep, we get it now. Absolutely correct. Please do it. So he removes a part of the seal that he made that was blocking the door, and she becomes roll, roll, tiny, Misty, and she goes through this tiny little crack in the seal, um, and then he seals her inside again. So now she cannot leave, and they come back the next night. Van Helsing is like Arthur. What we're gonna do now is we're gonna go. We're gonna send her soul back to heaven. You should do it for her, man. And Arthur is like, "You're right. I should. I should be the one to do it." So he drives a stake into her heart. And she writhes and shrieks and it sucks and there's lots of blood, but then it dies down and all of a sudden she's not demon looking anymore. She looks like her real self again and it's clear her soul is saved and oh, cool, cool, cool. Great. <laughs> so Quincy. Her soul is saved, but she's still dead. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Still very dead. <laughs> Absolutely dead. Never coming back whatsoever, but thankfully I guess now she's in heaven. So Quincy takes Arthur outside after this, because that sucks for him, and Van Helsing and Jack chop off her head and stuff the mouth of the head with garlic, and Van Helsing is like, okay, y'all, we're going to regroup tomorrow, because uh, we still got some work to do now. And yeah, because someone like, turned her, like, clearly. Everyone's like, yes, sir, we'll do this. So Van Helsing is like, okay, I gotta go back to Amsterdam for like a minute. But listen, my friends are coming. Their names are the Harkers. So uh, Jack, you keep them in good company. You get each other up to speed here. Um, like read their diaries, hear their diaries. I have Mina Harkers and Jonathan Harkers diaries. Okay, bye. And he like goes back to Amsterdam. And Mina actually arrives before Jonathan because he's off like learning about um, like the shipment off of the Demeter, the ship that brought, as we've probably surmised, Dracula yeah. himself here, um, and where those shipments went. Um, and then, so she gets to Jack's early. So she and Jack catch each other up. He like listens, 
He lets her listen to his diary because he records his diary on a phonograph. Interesting. Fun. And Mina's like, okay, um, there's too many narratives. Like, not enough condensing happening for me. I need to, like, bring all of these things together. I'm going to write all this out in chronological order from all the points of views, and then we're going to, like, figure some shit out here. And that's what Mina goes to do and starts doing that. And then Jonathan comes, and he agrees with this, and he starts helping her. So we come to realize, of course, that the property that is out in the woods by the asylum that uh, Jack works at, that he runs, that is the property that Count Dracula bought, that he had Jonathan help him with the paperwork on from the very beginning. And this is the property that Renfield, the patient, has been running off to every time he, like, escapes and stuff. So Arthur and Quincy get there, and, like, Mina has some sweet moments with both of them. Like, she comforts Arthur, who hasn't actually been able to, like, grieve, really, um, all this time. So he, like, breaks down, like, in her arms, and, like, they, like, have a moment where there she's, like... I was, you know, Lucy is like a sister to me, so could we, like, consider each other brother and sister? Because technically that would have been what you would have been to me. Like, you would have married my sister for all intents and purposes. So they're like, oh, it's real sweet. Um, and then, like, she and Quincy kind of have a similar moment. So now we've solidified and established Mina as the new, like, heart center of the group of all other men in this story. Yeah. Mina wants to talk to Renfield, understandably because he is clearly weirdly caught up in it and nobody knows why or how or what um, is happening there. So Jack lets her with his supervision and Renfield is very calm and self-aware and he's very kind to her. He hopes, however, after they speak to each other that he never sees her again and that God will keep her safe which is a very strange comment from him. And Jack goes after this to pick up Van Helsing from the train and brings him back. So now the gang is all here. It is all of us. It is Van Helsing, Jonathan and Mina Harker, Dr. Jack, Arthur, and Quincy. We've got the six. So we have this committee meeting, (laughs) essentially. Um, Van Helsing tells, like, about what he was learning while he was gone, he was learning from a professor friend in Budapest about what this guy knows from his studies about vampires. So we get this consolidated list of like all the things that they can do um, and about Dracula especially, like who Dracula is. He is somebody like he has a legitimate backstory to who he is. You don't get like a huge amount of details but he's from a long line of great people and like he's centuries old. Um, He's from, like he's a Hun for all intents and purposes. He's like a Hun, like Attila the Hun. So the other thing we get, like I mentioned, is like a bunch of lists of characteristics of vampires and things like that. These are just the typical things that you already know. These are the things that become the staples of, like, what everyone expects of a vampire. Like, for instance, you know, the having to drink blood, but, like, they can turn into a bat, right? Uh, 
Some standouts is that that you might not have ever heard that happen here. They can command zombies, apparently. They are necromancers. Uh, there's something about, like, crossing water. Like, they can't be in water themselves. I don't... I couldn't capture exactly what was trying to be said there. For vampires? Yeah. Uh, in the movie that follows this book, they explain it that... Um, they can never be far away, like, too far away from the soil of their homeland. Uh, or something like that. And how Dracula makes it on the boat, or survives, I guess, the trek on the boat. Like, he has, he brings his coffin with him on the boat to sleep in. But, um, the only reason he survives is because he also brings a shit ton of Transylvanian dirt with him on the boat because he needs like the soil of his homeland or some shit like that glad you've mentioned this because this is a thing but this is a separate thing from the water thing that i was talking okay. about like at least in the novel yeah because yes specifically we're going to talk about dracula and that is a thing for him but there's something else about vampires in general like they can't set foot in running water they have hmm. to be carried over it somehow. I don't... It's like the rule about them going into a house. They have to be invited yes. or whatever yes. the fuck. Okay. It's something like Some that. arbitrary rule. But we will get to the dirt literally in just a okay. second. Um, and then one other standout, or a couple other standout. Roses, rose branches on their coffins can keep them there. Interesting. And there is a quote sacred bullet unquote that can kill them when they're sleeping i don't know what that means it's not explained but that's that so anyway i guess it would be like a blessed something a bullet that's been blessed yeah or maybe like constantine style they melted down like a metal crucifix or something maybe. i don't know I, but, I don't know i just always i think this that confusing language in this part of the book is what has constantly confused or not confused, I guess. Allowed for a lot of interpretation. Has, well, has pulled the general idea that vampires can be killed with silver bullets, just like werewolves. Like, yeah. Like, a lot of, there's a lot of cross between vampires and werewolves because people, like, this book and many other books regarding both vampires and werewolves are not super clear on the lines. Like, there's a lot of leeway there that yeah. you're kind of just having to fill in with your own brain and everyone has just kind of you know if you really like one spooky story about a vampire you're really gonna like this story about a werewolf so everyone's brains have just kind of melded the rules together so now you know vampires and werewolves only come out when there's a full moon or when there's yeah. whatever and they can only be killed by silver bullets and crucifixes and whatever the fuck like yeah. it's just like it's all blended together because of the ambiguity i guess of the the rules yeah in older writings so like i mentioned dracula like has a backstory he's centuries old he is a noted figure from a noted bloodline documented to have had dealings with satan of course <laughs> but Fun. like he is nevertheless sired many quote good humans in history and their graves his descendants their graves seeping into the soil makes that soil sacred 
and gives him extra powers and keep him safe. These are his dirt boxes. In the novel, we are told now the boxes that he brings with them that are constantly filled with dirt, like yeah. with his coffin, these are his dirt boxes. It is the soil of the graves, essentially, of his posterity. Um, so it's interesting that all of his children would be dead. Yeah, like uh, he is very old and he had like... There's a lot of implications here. Apparently, vampires can multiply somehow. Yeah, the idea of vampire procreation is interesting. We talked about that quite a bit yeah. <laughs> during Twilight. Um, I'm curious if by children he means people that he just turned, or if he means specifically people he... I think what were he born. I think he means that because it's explicitly Sired. said that it's the people that that they're good, that it's the good ones that he has sired. Oh yeah, and to me and that no vampire not, would technically that, be good exactly because yeah, okay. they're damned. Like that is a very big thing in this book. So it, to me, there's this implication here that maybe he's impregnating humans. Yeah, and that so that somehow. He, like, that the progeny somehow are not inherently vampiric. Like, it's not something at DNA level, also I guess. Also weird that he wouldn't have a need to kill them. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah, it's, it, the implications are very strange. Yeah, there's, um, I have a million questions right now, but we don't got time for that, so. And then, and honestly, even if I could, I, even if I wanted to, which I do want the, the answers to these yeah. questions. Like, we don't the have book them. doesn't really give them. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah, really, it, it's given, and then we're like, all right, now we're moving on, and it's like, sir, Brom, my, my dude, Brom, Brommy, well, I can mean, I call you Brom? Um, I need you to elaborate, sir. If we're to believe that, well, or if they get well, pregnant, mark, would their kids, would his kids also be, they couldn't be vampires? How, that's what I'm saying. What the fuck? Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Katie, Katie just hit the part in her brain that brain. I was at after I read this because, yeah, no, you're not wrong. This doesn't make any sense. They'd There's so half, many things. They'd be half vampires. That you need to tell me about Bram Stoker here that is implied in this one specific fact, but it is never talked about in this book, and yeah. it's infuriating. Like, no, I need I need you to tell me. But the movie I watched. Who is he fucking? How are they giving birth to these people? Oh. Why are these people not why are these people human and not vampiric somehow? Because they eventually die and he takes their grave dirt. Like, I need answers. But the movie the movie will just raise more questions. Similar questions. Okay. About what the fuck. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> All right. So that, I'm sorry, if you are also frustrated, you get to just live in that frustration. Yeah. Because that's us. all we're given. And then we move on in the narrative. So the plan that the six have at the moment is to find out where all the boxes are here. Um, if are all, like, they're at his one house that's next to the asylum, or if they're all gone now, uh, or what what is happening with them. And then once they find all of those boxes, eliminate those boxes somehow. Like, de-sanctify them. Um, <laughs> Bury them. They're whatever. Like, <laughs> I, who, I don't know. Throw them in the ocean. That's how you get rid of it. <laughs> Turn it into mud. There you go. You apparently can't walk into water or something. So, um, Also, and, vampire lore has gotten rid of that. Yeah. 
We don't give a fuck. Vampires do whatever the fuck they want nowadays. <laughs> and then, once they've done this, then he's going to have none of his jars of dirt for all of <laughs> I got a jar of dirt. <laughs> what if <laughs> they get rid of all his dirt? And, and he's, he's like, got a jar somewhere. And he's just like, I, I got, got a jar of dirt. dirt. <laughs> just so, so fucking funny. Oh my god, it's just Johnny Depp. It's not even Dracula anymore. I was literally anymore. had to like, say, we now have questions about fucking, the origins of Johnny Depp. Jonathan, <laughs> sorry, my brain was like, Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker, like, unmasking Dracula like a fucking horrible Scooby-Doo episode, Amazing. and it's Johnny Depp Amazing. as fucking Jack Sparrow with a jar of dirt. Yes. <laughs> yes! My brain just didn't like the that's it. shit. We've solved it. That's, I don't know what we've solved, but we've solved that's it. That's the movie we need to see. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> once he doesn't have any more jars of dirt left, then they'll be like, now he doesn't have anywhere that's safe, so we can just kill him during the day. Because, duh. So, during this committee meeting, by the way, Quincy sees a bat outside, so he's like, I don't like that. And he goes out to shoot it. And he accidentally shoots toward the window. And so the shot goes through the window, because duh. Yeah. And then it terrifies everyone. And then, like, that's just never talked about again. So, anyway, it's time for Misogyny Town. We're going to oh. bring it on down to Misogyny Town. Oh, God. So, they're all like, okay, guys. We all know what the next step is, and every single other guy is like, oh, you're so right, we do. We are in agreement. <sighs> Mina, thanks for your con- contribution. Uh, the rest of this is man's work, okay? We're going to tell you all about it when it's done, I promise. But uh, we, can't, we can't be, like, involving you. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous, so my lady. Mad. So she is like, well, fuck this. But they're not going to listen to me. If I complain and I don't want to make them completely cut me out, even of like information. So, you know what? I'm just going to like pretend that I'm fine with this. I'm just going to play along. So they leave um, her there immediately. They want to go to the old house that's next to the asylum. But right when they're going to do this, Renfield calls Jack and they're like, Okay, can this wait? And the orderly is like, no, he's like insistent. He wants to see you right now. And Jack's like, oh, fucking fine. So they go to Renfield. And Renfield's like, I need to fucking leave. You need to let me out. Please let me go. Now. Right now. Just like, let me leave the asylum. Because that's how it works, apparently. And um, all the movies make it very... The asylum is like this weird place where you could just come and go. Yeah. It's very odd. Check like, myself in, check myself out, everything's good. Yeah. At least if you're a man. Mm-hmm. Even in in uh, some of the older ones, I think even the women. Like, I think Mina at some point in one of the movies like, ends up in the... Okay. I think she... I don't know. It was a silent movie. Some random version. Fair. It was like a silent version. I'm pretty sure she like checks herself in and then is allowed to just fucking leave. And I'm like, what the fuck? strange yeah this doesn't fit this doesn't fit yeah but renfield is like bro okay i am sane i'm good listen 
uh, yeah. I just need to leave right now. Trust me, I'm sane. I can't tell you why I need to be let out right now, but I, like, super just do. <laughs> and Jack is like... And that's how we got the Halloween movies. <laughs> and Jack is like, no. <laughs> Fucking, let, oh. let me think about that for a second. No. <laughs> Which, I think that's the Halloween 2018 that is, that is almost legit how it fucking happened in Halloween 2018. Uh, and he's just like, let me out. And they're like, <gasps> well, he doesn't speak. Yeah, sure. He doesn't speak. But <laughs> he just gives them the look. <laughs> <laughs> no, but basically, there's there's a doctor, this doctor who has been studying him for since he's been in there, which is essentially like 50 years because he went into the asylum when he was like six. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It might not even be the new one. It might have been just the original one. But um, the doctor is, like, super fascinated with his need to kill and all these different things and why. And is so fascinated with his need to kill. He's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let him out and I'm going to follow him around. I'm going to see what happens. Jesus. See, what had happened was <laughs> everyone dies. Jesus, Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He's nuts. And he kills everybody. I'm handing you the wheel, Jesus. <laughs> that literally happens. I'm taking he, it off. So, so he like. It's yours. He, the, the doctor is like talking to him like, okay, Michael, we're going to, you know, me and you, we'll go out, we'll do the thing. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll trick the guards or whatever and we'll get into this car. And Michael just is like, he doesn't All speak. Right, he doesn't speak. He just, like, looks at him and, like, that's it. All he's been doing is staring at him. So, so they make up this... The presence that he has. Yeah, they just make up this fucking plan and the doctor gets him in the car and then they're, like, leaving the hospital and on the way to the hospital, uh, fucking... Michael's, like, sees a woman, like, a car is, like, broken down on the side of the street and it's, like, a a young woman. And Michael's like, "Mm, gotta kill her. And he crashes the car and, like, basically kills the doctor, kills the girl, steals the car. It's just, like, fucking insane. Deuces. Yeah. Anyway, like, thanks, thanks for the bro. ride, bro. Yeah. yeah it's, it's literally like a thanks, bro. Gotta go. It's like, dude, come on. Oh you knew that God. was gonna happen. So, Renfield, a.k.a. Michael Myers, is like, God, I gotta go. I'll be, I'll be back. It's like, <laughs> Jack is I like... Won't. That's not happening. And Renfield is That's getting... That's not how any of this works. Right. This is not how this works. So Renfield is pleading and like there's like, okay, well, we're just going to leave. And he's just getting crazy about it. Like yelling after them, if you don't let me out, then I wash my hands of what happens tonight. Just saying. Like reasons you should stay in the asylum. And they're like... Okay, whatever, nerd. Like, we're fucking leaving now, basically, is, is their response. Whatever, nerd. Oh, my gosh. Renfield is left in the asylum, not le- not out like he wanted. And they go to the property. They are like the Ghostbusters now. They, like, legit have, like, a scene of arming, quote-unquote, themselves with, like, normal arming things, but then with things to use against Dracula if they see them, like crucifixes, etc. Um, it's real spooky in there. It's, like, dark, of course. They go to the chapel in on this land, um, and in this chapel on this land is the boxes. 
that they're looking for of dirt. But there's only 29 of them there. And Jonathan Harker just so happens to know that there's 50 of those motherfuckers. So we're like, ah, shit, where are the other 21 of them? Right? So we're going to have to track down a bunch of those puppies. So as they're like, all right, let's, like, de-sanctify these boxes of dirt. Desecrate them? There we go. That's the word I was reaching for and could not find. (laughs) Desecrate. I got you. Got it. They're going to do that, and then suddenly, thousands of rats are summoned, apparently by Dracula, but never fear, because Arthur is like, I got this, fam, and pulls out a dog whistle? Question mark? And he calls... His dogs, which have not been mentioned until right now, <laughs> and his dogs, like, run from, I guess, the asylum, and they take care of it? What the fuck? This is fake. Like, it didn't happen, but it apparently happened, according to Bram Stoker. But, like, Are they close enough for the dogs to have heard this? Like... There's three... I mean, like, yeah, this is, like, this is the property that, like, abuts oh, oh, the asylum. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. It's right next to it. Okay. But but the reason why this didn't happen is, like, there's, like, three of the dogs. If there's thousands of rats here, three dogs didn't fucking take care of thousands of rats. Thousands of rats fucking took care of those three damn dogs. Also, they're for sure all getting the plague. Yeah, right? But apparently, no, all... The three dogs just take care of it. Done. Thousands of rats. No fucking big deal. Um, anyway, after that problem is now gone, they're like, all right, lads, let's go back to work and, uh, desecrate. I had to reach for it again. I finally found it that time. Uh, desecrate these boxes. And meanwhile, Mina has had a night because she's trying to sleep, but she's, of course, anxious and then she is very obviously visited by Dracula, but she thinks it's a dream. And she doesn't want to worry the men. Kill me. So she is not going to say anything, and it's hard for her to wake up in the morning. Uh-oh. So Jonathan, they, like, return home. Like, they uh, fucking desecrate the boxes. They put the Eucharist in them, I think, in all of them. And uh, they're like, all right, lads, that's great. And they come home. The next day, Jonathan is trying to find out where the other boxes are. Um, And he finds out three different places that they've been scattered to. So he starts trying to acquire a way to get into the houses. Because if they broke into these residences, like, in the same way that they did the older property the night before, it would not go the same way. Like, these places are in, like, busy locations. Um, people would notice them trying to break in. Like, it would be very illegal. They would run into, like, legal problems. Um, Jack is, meanwhile, trying to figure out Renfield's issues because he is acting strange. (laughs) I guess stranger than normal. And he's, like, worried about souls versus life. Like, the differences between them and, like, what constitutes what. And Jack finally realizes, finally, it just, it just now dawns on Jack. Ah, Renfield has likely gotten some assurance from Dracula that he will be given that kind of immortal life. And that's why he's acting all weird. 
And everyone is like, wow, Jack, it took you that long? Okay. All right, bud. Great. Um, glad you're the one running this place, I guess. So, no one is noticing the situation with Mina. At the most, they are noticing that she looks kind of rougher, and they're just attributing it to her being worried for them. Aw, Mina. So, in the middle of the next night, Renfield is found by an attendant bleeding on the ground in his room. So they call Jack, Jack calls Van Helsing and the other boys, they bring them in to see what's going on. Because the problem is, Renfield has been thrown down on the ground so hard, he has fractured his skull and broken his neck and has a massive brain injury. That is absolutely going to kill him. And honestly, it's a wonder he's not dead. So Van Helsing and Jack operate on him immediately to relieve the pressure on the hemorrhage of his brain long enough for Renfield to revive a little bit to talk to them before he dies, essentially. So he tells them that he has heard and seen Count Dracula for a while now, but he never allowed the Count inside. The Count never got inside the institution ever. Remember, he needs to be invited. Until the other night. Remember the night when he was begging to be let go or terrible things were going to happen and he wouldn't be responsible for them? That is the night that Renfield is finally convinced. The Count convinces Renfield to invite him in. Immediately after Dracula gets in, Renfield no longer holds any interest for him, of course. Um, And Renfield sees this, uh and is upset by that because the count is not here for anything other than mina so mina visited runfield just like the like that next day this day that he is that we're now in right now earlier that day unbeknownst to no one mina went and visited renfield and when she was there he could see that she was being fed on by dracula so when Dracula comes back the, tonight, this night, Renfield cannot bear Mina being one of Dracula's victims. So he attempts to stop the Count and physically fight the Count by himself, um, like a fucking beast. And Dracula has trouble with Renfield for a moment, but it's just a moment. And quickly, he just throws Renfield around like a rag doll and dashes him on the ground. And that's all he remembers. And now, everyone in the room is like, oh, fuck. So they rush to the Harker's bedroom, and they bust in. And yes, Dracula is there right now. He has put Jonathan in a trance sleep situation, and he is shoving Mina's face against his chest, which has an open wound on it. They scare Dracula away with the Eucharist, um... And crucifixes. And then Jonathan wakes up, and now, horror among horrors, we all know that Mina was being fed on. And uh, she tells them her last couple of days, like, and that what happened tonight was that Dracula came in and he was like, okay, babe, here's the deal. If you scream, I'm gonna kill your husband. I'm gonna make you one of mine. Eventually, I like you. 
you know. But for now, you're just going to be my mind slave. So anytime I call on you, you're going to come to me. Uh, and he feeds on her, and he then makes her drink his blood. So, new plan. <laughs> Today has to be the day they finish all of this. They are all convinced. They do not want to risk him getting another night. Um, in the day, he can't do normal vampire stuff. He is, for all intents and purposes, a human in the day, I guess. <laughs> so they're like, all right, we're going to go fuck up those boxes. In the, uh, We're going to go uh, gain access to the other big place. Uh, oh, I guess they didn't fuck up the boxes in the old property the last time. That's weird. I don't know why they wouldn't have. <laughs> But whatever. But they're like, all right, we're going to gain access to the to the other places um, that we think the other boxes are in. And then we're going to split up and we're going to hit all of those, the rest of those. Um, and Mina's going to stay behind. She's going to be continuing to transcribe diaries, etc. They try to leave her armed to the teeth. They can leave her with normal things like, you know, guns. But they want to leave her with things that will repel a vampire. Except... When Van Helsing places the Eucharist on her forehead, it burns her and leaves a scar on her forehead. Yeah. Oops. So, now we are in a heist movie. After they go to the old property and cleanse the dirt boxes with the Eucharist, they get entry into the larger estate that is, like, in the busiest, like, neighborhood. Like, by having Arthur, remember, Arthur is a lord. Of all of the people in this group, he has the he is the highest class of them and has a lot of money. So he pretends to own the house and he orders a locksmith because, oh man, where did my pesky key get off to? Dang it, for my cute place here. Um, and it works. And they get in and they deal with the other boxes. One is missing. They note that one is missing, but they cannot find it anywhere the same way that they did at the old property. And then Arthur and Quincy go off to the other two places and Jack Van Helsing and Jonathan wait at this place for them to come back or for Dracula to show up or whatever, whichever comes first. So they're waiting. They get a note delivered suddenly from Mina who saw Dracula out behind the asylum. So she's judging where he's going around, like where he's probably going to go to his places first that he may be heading their way soon. So she's sent, like, a note off to them to be like, hey, bitches, he's heading, he's heading your way. Probably by, like, this time. So Arthur and Quincy do make it back before Dracula gets there. Uh, they take, they've taken care of the other boxes, and so they plan and get into a formation in the house for when the Count comes in. And so he comes, and they try a brief attack, but he busts through a window and lands on the ground like Superman, I guess. But then he runs to the stable, and at the stable door, he yells back at them, essentially like, you'll never catch me. There's one more box that they didn't get. They're never going to catch him. That's the gist of what he says. Nothing else matters. And then he closes and locks the stable door. And so they're like, well, okay, well, let's go. So they go to break the stable door down, but by the time they break it down, he is gone, duh. So they burn all his shit in the house, like the like title deeds and stuff to the other properties, and then they go home because there's nothing else for them to do, and it's getting dark. At this point, they need to make sure that they protect Mina. So they go home, they tell Mina everything, and they go to bed, and Mina is fine all night, but just before dawn, she wakes up 
and is like, hey, hey, Jonathan, go get Van Helsing. And he's like, okay. So they bring Van Helsing and like everyone else comes to because duh. And she's like, hypnotize me. And he's like, oh yeah, sure, sure. Like, this isn't a weird request that we've never talked about in the book, like, at all. No discussion of what is happening has never occurred in this book. It's just suddenly, like, she's like, Van Helsing, hypnotize me. And he's like, correct. That's exactly what I'll do right now. Like, there's no preamble or explanation as to why this is happening. So he does it. And then she's like, okay, I am one with Count Dracula right now. Right now, I'm on a ship somewhere, and that's all I got. (laughs) And they were like, okay, great. I guess that could be, you know, any ship anywhere in, like, the Port of London, just to be, just to be, like, general. Um, But, of course, they eventually agree that this means he's heading back to Transylvania. So, the new plan... They're going to go on land to Transylvania. They're going to beat him there. They're going to grab his box and they're going to seal it when they get it. And then they're going to figure out how to get it open and murder him when the time is right after that. Now, this new problem that they're all dealing with as they are preparing for this plan is Mina herself. Because they all are becoming essentially aware all at once that Mina's mind connection to the Count here um, probably goes both ways. Uh, and so they need to simultaneously be keeping her in the dark about plans, but also keeping her close because she is unpredictable. If no one knows where she is, she could be utilized very badly by the Count suddenly, right? Um, his little spiel about using her when he calls for her, etc., is in all of their minds. So she only has periods of, like, lucidity, by that I mean, like, true to her real self, in the cusp of either sunset or sunrise. So twice a day, she can be herself and is very sure that she is not under the influence of the Count in this moment. So everyone gets their like affairs in order. And I mean that literally like they draw up wills. They're like, we're probably, we might die doing this. So they get their affairs in order. Um, They make arrangements to travel. Mina makes everyone swear that if she needs to be taken care of, they will do it. Um, and it's sad. And then they travel. And then when they get there, they wait in Transylvania. Arthur has his people. Again, remember, he is a lord. So he has people reporting to him all the time, trying to keep traps on where the ship is, like people um, catching glimpses of it in various harbors or whatever as it like passes by or something. And... They check in with Mina in hypnotism twice a day to connect back with the Count and see where he is, where what she can perceive and like what they can mean about where he is. And they surmise constantly he's still on a ship. Nothing has changed. And then finally they get word of when and where the ship is fi- has its final docking um, in the country. So they begin preparations for meeting it. Arthur's connections have also gotten them the ability to get on the ship when they get there and get the box without people asking them questions, so they are prepared for that. Van Helsing and Jack suddenly see a change in Mina. One day she's actually, she sleeps through the middle of the day much too long and too deep than normal for her. And then when she wakes up, she is more of herself than she has been in a very long time. And after a while, they realize the Count must have connected with her 
that afternoon and learned that they were waiting for him here. And so now he's panicking and he's trying to find a way to escape. And he's so distracted and putting all of his energy into that, that he has left off his influence on Nina for now. And because, and that's why she's better essentially. However, it is suddenly becoming very hard for her to get any good details out of hypnotism sessions. He is still on the water, even though they know that he's docking or should be docking. So they're wondering what's happening. And then when they get to the boat, the count in the box are gone. So they were already picked up by people who had orders for what to do here way back from when the count was setting things up in London right before he left. So they took the box before sunrise. They gave this, the people that he ordered, gave it to another person. And the trail runs cold at that person because he is found dead suddenly. So Mina thinks and finally figures out that if he's still on the water, as she can tell in the hypnotism sessions, then what is probably happening is he's he's probably had this person set up transport of him and his box on a river heading close to his castle as the water is the safest bet for him to keep traveling and keep away from them. So they pick a river, they like look at maps and they pick a river that gets the closest to his land, his castle territory, I guess, up the mountain. And they're like, okay, this is the best chance of being the one that he chose when he was making this plan. So they're like, all right, now this is our new and final plan. It's down to the wire. Arthur and Jonathan are going to get on a steamboat on the river trying to catch the boat before it gets to the castle. Jack and Quincy are going to be on horseback following the river in case the boat tries to stop and come on land before. And Van Helsing and Mina are going to directly go to the castle to see if they can beat him there and or start the work of hopefully like cleansing some of the castle itself. Um, I mean, they would have to eventually and also recall there are three other woman vampires there. So we're going. It's happening. This is happening. Days go by on this plan. Nothing yet. Mina and Van Helsing go up the mountain. She's having it really rough. He can tell. They're like riding their horses and one night they get close onto the grounds of the land and they make a fire and Van Helsing puts a ring around Mina and sprinkles the Eucharist in it and she can't cross that line. So that's not a great sign. Um, So he sits in there with her and the three vampire women swirl and whirl and snow and the mist and then they show up and they're like, Haha, Mina, you're one of us, we can tell. And they like try to entice Mina outside to them, but it doesn't work, and then they just leave. The next morning, Van Helsing leaves Mina in the circle. She's armed, like with a gun, and so in case wolves, because remember, there's also just like wolves around right now. But otherwise, she's in that circle, which is the safest place for her, to be perfectly honest. Um,. And he goes by himself and he finds the chapel, the chapel that Jonathan originally found Dracula when he was sleeping in his coffin, like at the very beginning of the fucking story. He finds three, the three women, the three vampire women sleeping in their coffins in there. So he fucks them up. He murks them all the same way he murdered Lucy. And he finds Dracula's tomb with his literal name on it, 
So he just puts the Eucharist in it so that he can't go back in there. He comes back to Mina, and Mina is like, okay, can we actually backtrack a bit? Because I feel him close. I feel him closing, getting closer, so, like, let's meet him. <laughs> so they turn around, They but it's getting to be, like, a real wild snow thing happening right now. So they find a tiny little cave to have shelter in. And Van Helsing makes another, like, Eucharist line at the entrance to this cave. From the cave, they can see out the people who are carrying Dracula, like, on a coach at this point. And they're being closely pursued by all four of our other boys, by Jack, Quincy, Arthur, and Jonathan. And they get them, they stop them, and they draw their weapons, and Van Helsing and Mina draw their weapons, too, from their fucking cave part, um, and get their attention so that these people see that they're surrounded. But the dudes do draw their own weapons back for a minute and are like, nah, we ain't giving it up, so we fightin'. <laughs> and... A big fight happens. Jonathan makes it through to the box first, and he is unscathed. And the next person to make it to the box to start helping Jonathan is Quincy, who is not unscathed. But he helps pry open the box. And the other people, once they've gotten to the box, essentially they realize, like, Jack and Arthur still have their, you know, weapons trained on them all. And there's been casualties, assuming, or at least injuries. And then Helsing and Mina have them trained, and they just kind of give up. They're just like, oh, I guess we're just gonna fucking stand Guess here. we're gonna lose. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Jack and, uh, excuse me, Jonathan and Quincy open the box. Dracula's there, and boy, do they kill them some fucking Dracula. They cut off his head and stab him through the heart simultaneously, and he immediately dissolves into dust and goes poof, and it's done. The change is immediate for Mina. She can now suddenly cross the Holy Eucharist line, and so she runs up to all of them. And now that the people who are bringing Dracula back have no cargo and they have no charge and they've just seen what they all assume is some real devil witchcraft shit <laughs> um they're like ah these foreigners are terrifying and we're not gonna be here anymore and they just run away sounds right um so quincy is not good he is however very happy that they've won and he can see Mina's scar, for instance, on her forehead is now gone, and she is free, and the sun breaks, the sunrise happens, um, and Quincy dies. And it's sad. sad. day. And then we get a brief epilogue, and I mean brief, like a page, maybe? Yeah. Of, we that flash always, forward. That always bugs me when epilogues are like, here was this wonderful, well-thought-out, long-ass fucking story. Epilogue. Half a paragraph. Yeah. The, what? Just put that at the end. You don't need to make this, quote, an epilogue. Like, yeah. Just make another paragraph. Just put it right rest. there. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. No, epilogue is like a full-time jump and then ge genuine extra detail about what the fuck is happening. Right. So, we flash forward seven years. The Harkers have a son. His birthday is the holiday of Quincy's death, and his name is Quincy. Jack, right. Jack and Arthur are both married now, too. Van Helsing is still in their lives, and all is well now. And that's the end of Dracula by Bram Stoker. I mean, you could have just said everyone went and lived normal lives. 
Like, final sentence after Dracula dies. And then everything went back to normal. Bye! Like, you didn't need... The epilogue is, like, written... It's written by Jonathan. Because remember, again, this is, like, an epistolary novel. So, John... It's Jonathan who's writing something. Could you imagine... It's just so strange that he was just like, oh, seven years ago, we all went through the fire. Could you fucking imagine, like, getting getting your newspaper, right? Anticipating, like, oh, what's next in the great Dracula story? And you open up, you know, you read the funnies or whatever and get to the next page. And it's fucking, like... Seven years have passed since the events of that night, and I got a kid, and his name is Quincy, and he was born on Quincy's death day, and the end. I mean, and that's literally, (laughs) like, that's pretty much, like, almost verbatim. I I would have fucking rioted, like, why even tell me this? Yeah, exactly. The other story... Why do I care about this? The story ended last week. I didn't need this. Exactly. Exactly. Um... So I have just a couple of notes to wrap us off, and I do just mean a couple. Just some commentary on, like, the genre, the, like, textual um, makeup and composition of this, and, uh, as usual, you know, my own thoughts. So apparently in 1901, there's this Icelandic translation of Dracula, and that translation in Icelandic gets way spicier. And by spicy, I mean sexy, to be very clear. And it there's, like, real different names in it and characters and stuff. Um, so shout out to Iceland. That's fucking interesting. I'd love to read the spicy version of this. It's Twilight. Oh, man. It's just more sex. Or True Blood. <laughs> That's more accurate. There it's we go. It's just True Blood. It's just True Blood. It's just vampire and sex. That's spicier. <laughs> Fair. So the writing of Bram Stoker's Dracula is... Seems like it took 75 years since it was episodic. It's, (laughs) yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's moments of really great description and atmosphere building. Yeah. I can understand why some of the critics were like, bro, this is too scary. Because in the scary moments... The descriptions and the atmosphere that Bram Stoker is trying to build in those moments, you can tell a lot of work went into them. And they're really, they're really interesting and they're really well done. They do set a great mood. And I can understand why this translates really well to the screen when people are trying to make movies of this i can understand the desire to do that because it is an atmospheric story honestly there's lots of plot but the plot is not the the forefront like strength of this story even though he he does do a lot of intricate work with building character and story and plot you could tell that he really wanted this to be a mystery more than just a straight horror, but he didn't really know how to blend the genres seamlessly. And so there are times that he kind of gets really bogged down in dumb details that just are not necessary, like whatsoever. Like when, for instance, the wolf, like, breaks out of the zoo and then, like, goes and, like, busts into Lucy's room or whatever... So, there is a several, I mean several page article from a fictitious newspaper of a journalist 
interviewing the zookeeper for all intents and purposes about the wolf that broke out and the kind of wolf he is and that before the wolf broke out he saw this weird guy who's dracula who was like being all friendly with the wolf and the zookeeper like talked to dracula for a minute and they're like bonded over the fact that they're like wolves and then he's real sad that his wolf is gone and then the wolf comes back and it's like so like they're like oh crap like what what a waste. You what, could, what do we didn't need this? Nope, nobody fucking needed this. You could have told me in like one you could have given me a snippet yeah. of this fucking one, article in the newspaper two that sen- just said two sentences. The wolf broke out of the goddamn zoo. That's all we fucking needed. Yeah. But he like he included this, and this is the other thing that bogs him down. He includes this because it's very obvious. Remember I mentioned it last episode that he did extensive research for this book and that shows in these moments that he he's really trying to find areas to put in all of the research he did yeah of oh let me show off all these different people and the different accents that they have and, and the these different fun ways. facts i learned about wolves yes yeah. i studied them for this book and it's like He'll lapse in and out of character development pretty obviously when he's trying to highlight, oh, look at this character that literally doesn't fucking matter and this is the only thing that they fucking do in the story and then they don't ever come back. But look at this character. Look at how authentic their accent is and he's like, you know, uh, doing phonetic pronunciations of their stuff, which are almost incomprehensible to read at times yeah. um, and problematic for a variety of reasons. There's a reason we don't do phonetic pronunciations when we're talking about accents anymore because, like, bro, nobody... Like, I get that you're trying to be authentic, but we can hear it in our brains that you telling us where they're from should hearken the accent. Do not give me a phonetic pronunciation of the, a- of the accent because what happens is... Hundreds of years, uh, you know, a hundred years later, we get blue fur lady, and nobody knows what the fucking goddamn hell you're talking about, except well, one fucking random person on the internet who's like, ah, uh, it's probably them going, blue fur, it's a beautiful lady, and it's like, thank you for that guess, yeah. but I would love to fucking really know what yeah. blue fur lady means, and you, like, yeah. there's like moments, for instance, with Quincy. For example, who is a Texan, right? And this is written by a European. So there are moments where Quincy is really Texan, ham-fisted Texan. I only talk in in idioms that have to do with roping some little cowpokes. And hitching my wagon to your trailer, and we're gonna get along, little doggies. <laughs> and then there are moments where Quincy talks like a regular fucking person because he's like caught up in the plot of the scene, and you can clearly tell the like lapses in that as you're reading the story. Uh, and then my last criticism here of the writing is, as I've already mentioned. The ending, oh my god, it drags. It drags so hard. I don't know how he managed to make an ending that should be fraught with tension at every given moment, given what's really happening, just unbearably drag. I had 50 pages left, 
And I sped through reading this novel, and I hit the last 50 pages, and I was like, what is... How is there still 50 pages? This could end the next page. Yeah. This could end any minute now. Like, why is there 50 really, more pages of things happening? It's just a really long episode. I don't believe Psych. you, sir. <laughs> so, those are composition criticisms. Major thematic discussions. Um, this is not the first vampire novel, and it is absolutely not the first vampire novel to even equate or correlate vampires and sexuality or things like that but if we're gonna it's for sure not the last no (laughs) people attribute dracula for sure like as one of the like leading inspirations as to why we link vampirism and sexuality and i can understand that there is a lot of discussion to be had about um, the gender and sexuality questions. Like, for instance, the only time I read from this book was last episode in the very beginning when it's pretty obvious that the insinuation is Dracula is in love with Jonathan Harker in the beginning. And, I mean, that's... We're at the end of the 1800s. That's not really a thing that would have been widely accepted um and the only reason that dracula gets away with it here is because he's the villain and i want to be clear on that 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 is that is part of the controversy that it's okay for a villain to transgress sexually or in gender identity because they are the villain, because it's okay to link those types of transgressions to villainy. Yeah. And that is kind of like um like a trope that happens a lot um, that, you know, queer people or ge- different gender identity people often try to bust through now-a-days yeah. in depictions of queer identities. Yeah. Is that we can be protagonists too, and it's not a... It's not, not a sin. Not it's a not a sin, fuck, yeah. but also it's okay that when queer people look back and look at older things that they often enjoy the villains because a lot of the time the villains were queer coded yeah. or outright queer yeah. because those were the only representations that they were allowed to have. And so that's like, like there's a lot of nitty-gritty conversations to be had there of the fundamentals of, like, you know, the weird purity culture that we're having right now in fandoms of, oh, if it's not perfect, pure, good, quote-unquote, good, wholesome representation, then it's evil and bad and fetishizing or something or other. And it's like, no, queer history is just a lot more complicated than that, and you can't divorce, um, you can't divorce those previous issues from our current like situations and the ways that we approach media we can expand the way we approach it but to to fully exclude it as if it didn't happen fundamentally ignores really important um and interesting explorations into queer identities that we got historically are we gonna do interview with the vampire someday oh yeah for sure okay i was like because that's really big on on this lestat yeah lestat is he's all over the place oh god yeah i to be clear i read Anne rice 
when I was uh, seventh or eighth grade. Dad should not have been reading those things. Yeah. Not even for the sex or anything like that. That was all fine. Like, that was not something that scarred me. You want to know what fucking scarred me? You want to know what gave me a goddamn existential crisis? Was having to read The Vampire Lestat by Anne Rice and reading Lestat having a mental breakdown as a young dude because he realizes that life doesn't matter because there's nothing after death. Okay, well, I'm fucking 13, bitch. Like, I don't need to be fucking thinking about that. What is wrong with you? Well, and, I mean, I'm sure growing up super Christian did not help your situation at all. And I was surrounded I, by death when I was a I, kid. I was just like, eh, yeah, there's probably nothing. It's fine. <laughs> and you were just like, it. oh, no. <laughs> surrounded by death. Constantly talking about life after death. Yeah. Constantly thinking... But what does happen when you die? And knowing you're never going to fucking know. Sorry, I'm probably giving a bunch of people existential crises right now. I'm so Mm, sorry. Take care of yourself mentally. If you need to turn this off, please don't. Please listen to the end. But also, you'll be okay. Um, And seek help They're listening to our Satan vampire stories. It's fine. Very fair. Um, You you know what you signed up for. Yeah. So, yeah, like, um, there's a lot to be said for gender and sexuality in Dracula. That is for sure. Um, This one, he starts out... No, maybe it's not this one. One of the Dracula movies, or of some vampire movie. I think it's one of the Dracula movies. He starts out, like, when they go to his castle, uh, or when Jonathan meets him at his castle, he, like, there's a room just filled with female vampire mm. women who are like having an orgy <laughs> it's like it's very sexual all everything that has to do with vampire culture is very sexual in science fiction because like sex, except for because sex was steeped in sin and the devil back then yeah. when this originated yeah to to be thinking about those types of things yeah and enjoying it like if you enjoy sex Oh, yeah, um, you were evil. It's like, uh, yeah, it's uh, the the seductiveness of, oh, how good it feels to yeah. get into your body. Like, yeah. those questions. And there's a lot of that through all vampire media, except for maybe, except for maybe Twilight. That's yeah. the only one that's not super over-sexualized, though it is a romance story. It's a different kind of romance than typical other vampire media yes and like, watch speaking, watch like three episodes of true blood and you'll be like god damn i just watched the porn <laughs> right <laughs> right um but speaking of that one of the things that are, are wrapped up in for instance twilight is the idea of feminism versus misogyny and that is definitely present here as well for its time you have to remember compared to our times i mentioned it's time for misogyny earlier like in my like right like rundown Um, But truly, moments that we would consider misogynistic today would actually have been very transgressive often at times back in Bram Stoker's day when he was writing these things. There's lots of moments where Lucy and Mina both talk about, oh, the modern woman this and the modern woman that. And they're like critiquing the quote-unquote modern woman of the late 1800s that would have been referring to, you know, what we would consider today very typical things. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, essentially things that we would take for granted as, like, 
Yeah, yeah. women women can do whatever they want. They don't have oh, to yeah. be obsessed with their husbands. Well, they leading, don't have to be like, you at know. At this point, at this point right here, we're leading into like the intense feminist movement. Like, yeah. The right to vote and yeah. just the the start of feminism really is exploding at this moment in time where this book was made. And it's women finally like realizing, I don't need this fucking dude. Yeah. Fuck, fuck what this guy has to say. I'm going to do whatever I want. And it just progressively gets more and more intense as we go on until there are full-blown riots uh, in the early 1900s because women are tired of men's shit and they want the right to vote taxation without representation. Bitch. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, that. And I'm just gonna, honestly going to leave it there because we could unpack it forever. Oh, for days. Have this for days and days and days. For days and days, and days, and days, yeah. and days. But the last thing I want to say about gender and sexuality before I move on to the, my very, very last point is um, there is a discussion about vampirism, especially in like, criti- like critique and scholarship um, on Dracula, uh, vampirism as disease. Um, so like this feeding into fears about things like STIs, which were understood at the times to be basically only things that queer people dealt with, right? And if and they we killed just you. got rid of those queer people... Then no more STIs. Right, exactly. Um, so and the amount of time that it took to get out of that mindset? We're still in it, to be clear. All In many parts of the world, yes. Monkeypox. <laughs> yeah. Just fuck the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s and early 90s. Yeah. Like, oh, only gay people can get AIDS. Guess everyone's um, fine then. Guess all the straight folks are fine. Psych! Everybody gets it. It has nothing to do with your fucking sexual preferences at all. Yeah. It's a disease. The last point that I have is race. So, race problems. For sure. Um, the depiction of Dracula and some of the other peoples in this book um, are questionable racistically. I, that's not a word, but I just made it a word. So, like, what vampires and Dracula specifically do, his behaviors and stuff, um, as well as his descriptions, these are embedded in racist um, ideas. Like, it's not negotiable. That's not, like, me making a judgment. That's just, like, embedded fact. Um, Specifically, Eastern European Jewish people were coming into Britain around this time. um, A lot because of things like pogroms. And historically we know that there was a huge popular anti-semitic feeling um in the country at at that time because you know essentially oh no racial impurity oh no jewish people don't have allegiance to any one country ah they're gonna breed with us and white people are gonna die out Uh, typical shit and dracula holds a lot of stereotypical racist um, depictions of Jewish people in like characters of literature around this time. Like he holds a lot of those stereotypical characteristics. Also mentioned in these people in passing and not well are Romani people. Ditto. Um, and he shares some depictions with Romani people as well. And finally, Slovakians. Um, they are seriously othered in this novel. Um, 
just a lot and I don't I'm, I don't honestly even feel comfortable talking about how they are because other scholars who know more about it than I do have written better about it but I'll just say that you should read about it if you have questions because the the Slovakian people are referenced at times in this and it's not great yeah so lastly um the disease idea disease it like vampirism as a disease just as much dealing with sexuality as racist ideas because other races are dirty, right? Um, Jewish people and Romani people were quote unquote dirty at this time and would spread disease, quote unquote, right? So that this novel does absolutely have the capacity and did unfortunately play into those sort of racist stereotypes. Of course it did. But after all of that, that is my wrap-up of Dracula by Bram Stoker. I really liked it until we got to the part where it was super racist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I hate to bring us down, but I didn't want to not mention it. No. Because it's, it's a very yeah. important part of it. No, and that's, I mean, that's the hard part about reading anything older than, like, the last... 30 years or so is that it's gonna be steeped in those horrible ideas of the past you know racism and uh gender hating like identity hating and misogyny and all these different things um i'm happy that we are moving away from that hopefully it seems some of us anyways yeah um and i hope that it continues that trend but it is rough when you read older things. Yeah. Like, even, like, I really like learning and reading things, like, fiction that's set in World War II, just because I really, I don't know, it's just so fascinating to me, all these different yeah. pieces that had to come together. But even then, there's, like, it's just, the racism is so intense. Like, yeah. And it's, it's to everybody. Everyone is racist against everyone else. It is fucking rough reading most, um, most historical fiction. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it can ruin things for you for sure. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, like I've talked extensively several times and you, like, I can't, I had instructors when I was in college like, I took my senior thesis on early... My senior thesis seminar was early American literature. Uh, and, you know, I had to take American lit and stuff as uh, an English major. And while there are some stories that are really iconic for people and they really enjoy them, for me, they're really rough to oh, read. Yeah. Because... Oh, yeah. Because of that. I oh, yeah. The I, Huck Finn? I Ugh. can't focus Ugh. on anything. Tom Sawyer? Uh-huh. Anything about the craft, anything about, like, the historical importance or significance, uh, you know, or the composition. Like, I, it's really rough for me because, and I can, I can do it for other things, like, for instance, reading Dracula, that it doesn't. It's not that it doesn't bother me. It's that I can find the story and not have those problems overpower the story for oh, me. Yeah. But that's a product of me not being 
you know, European. That's a product of me being removed from it enough to have it not make me too uncomfortable. Yeah. So I can only imagine me, a fucking white girl, who doesn't, you know, have to constantly think about the systemic racism that my people have had to endure for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. I, I, it making me uncomfortable, I can only imagine how awful it must feel to read a bunch of quote-unquote classics and constantly be the the other the other in the classic like it's it's so even what to kill a mockingbird just like god damn well the reason there's a reason i will say and i said it because i said it when i covered it there's a reason that there's only one early american piece of literature that i've covered from the early early days like colonial days because it's that hard for me to read it's because it's the thing that is closer to home for me and it and i will cover those things because i feel like it's important to i feel like it's important to have it be covered and discussed for what it is um but I struggle with it like anyone, in my opinion, should because of the problems with that. And if I struggle with it, you can damn well bet that there's very valid struggle from marginalized peoples, you know, reading those things. So, uh, I, uh, anyway, I could talk about it forever and I don't need to. Oh, no, you're fine. I have trouble watching things that do the same. Yeah. Similar. Um, unless it's well even when it's a period piece there are like we talk about it a lot in um the spotlight series especially um we did a quentin tarantino month and yeah i was listening to one of those the other day yeah and uh quentin tarantino he's you know he's a great filmmaker or whatever and he does some quality stuff but he he does overuse the n-word a lot um, and I understand sometimes it's for historical accuracy because some of his things are set around the time of the Civil War where white people would be saying that word a lot and it yeah. would be just awful and it's meant to make you feel awful. Right. Like, I get That's it. That's the point. Yeah. Um, but then there are other times in other films where it's modern day and... We don't need Random white dude is just like, inward this, inward that, inward this. And he's not like... Like, it's clearly not, like, uh... He's not being, like, an over-the-top villain situation. Well, yeah, and for lack of a better word, he's not, like, um, an Eminem. Like, he's not, Mm. he's not in the culture. He's not, you know, it's not that kind of, you you know, maybe you get a pass. It's always inappropriate, but there's a case to be argued that this is maybe the most inappropriate of all of the situations. It's always meant to be derogatory, and it's just, like, it's so awful to see that, to listen to it, to watch it. It makes me so uncomfortable, and, you know, like, we don't, I don't know, it sucks. Like, we don't need it. It's not that... for historical accuracy, I guess, if you're doing a historical piece, uh, sure. But, like, with these modern works that he does, like, there's no need for that. It's funny because we just had this conversation. I, I was talking earlier with Katie that, like, I just started um, an equity lab, like a professional development thing at one of the colleges that I teach at. And uh, 
we had a discussion today um, in that lab about, for instance, the, you know, who teaches African-American, quote unquote, or black um, culture studies or, yeah, exactly. And that there's absolutely no good reason why someone who's not black is, should be teaching that course. And that, uh, you know, somebody brought up in it like, oh, well, technically speaking, if we're going to talk about true equity, we, that the goal would be that anyone could teach that. And the, the black guy in my lab was like, sure, but you would not, you would have students that are taking that class that are black, that would, you would be losing. You would, they would not get an enriching experience. Oh, absolutely. And the person was like, well, that, but that, that's part of them. Like you, you wouldn't be able to control that. Uh, They, they would end Mm. the part, the problem that the black person was very right to say was that sure, but there's he's like well you would foster you it would be about the classroom experience that you're making that you would you know maybe the teacher doesn't need to talk maybe the teacher just needs to listen then why are they there but the problem is is that the okay but it's even if the teacher is just sitting there listening you will never gain the trust of some of those students in that class yeah even if you're no matter how accepting or trusting of an experience if that instructor is not also black, you will fundamentally lose some of the trust in that classroom for yeah. those students, naturally and validly and understandably. So I think the reason that I bring this up is that for Quentin Tarantino to be making those decisions, I think the the problem lies yeah. in the fact that you don't have a stake in this in the yeah. same way a black director and yeah. movie cr- creator would. Yeah. If they were at the helm of this and making those decisions, yeah. I don't know how much more comfortable with it I would be, but I know that I would trust that person more to be making those decisions yeah. than I do Quentin Tarantino or someone who's not black. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, your whole, the whole thing about your class just made me think, like, if... I was writing a book, okay, a, an, a biography about your life, and then I had to teach about your life. Who's going to teach that class better about your life? Yeah. Me or you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Exactly. Just, it's not the same experience. Like, yeah. there are... I mean, there are a billion TikToks and videos on YouTube where you will hear... A, a multitude of races speaking on their personal experience growing up in the culture that they did and how it has affected their lives and there's just no way that you can relate to that even if you grew up around you're the, you were the only white person around a, tons and tons and tons of people you were it's still different like yeah. You're still not experiencing the same. They're not comparable things. It's not yeah. Comparable. It's not comparable. And we don't need you to make them comparable. Yeah. We need to be able to explore them validly without people comparing them to anything and talk yeah. about them. Talk about this. Talk about it being fucked up. Yeah. So. All right. 
gender and race studies by Sam and Katie. I could go on for way too long. Let's not. <laughs> All right. Uh, and now that we've finished Dracula, finally. Uh. Just kidding. <laughs> now that we've finished Dracula, we're going to continue uh, where we kind of left off last Dracula episode. And we are going to talk about the cinematic masterpiece that is Hotel Transylvania 2. Now, I'm sure many of you are like, Katie, come the fuck on another kids movie. I'm like, (laughs) you know what? I don't give a fuck. Kids movies are great. Animation is great. Go fuck yourself. That's that's what I gotta say. Uh, And these movies are awesome. So if you haven't watched them. Can you do it? That's all I'm fucking saying. Yeah. You fucking draw some shit. Come on. So, uh, you should go watch these movies. They're fucking great. Um, I promise you'll like them as long as you don't have, like, it a super problem with Adam Sandler, which some people do, which I don't understand, but sure. Anyways, Hotel Transylvania 2 picks up uh, a little while after the events of Hotel Transylvania 1. Just as a quick refresher, if you don't remember from the previous episode, um, Hotel Transylvania is a hotel that Dracula has made that is safe for monsters. Basically, no human could ever get in. And the whole premise of the first movie is that, oops, a dumb idiot got in. Um, (laughs) And Dracula's daughter Mavis falls in love with this boy and they end up zinging, which is to say that they fall in love immediately. Like the zing is basically love at first sight. And that is the everything that happens in the first movie. The second movie takes place a little bit after the fact, and it opens up with their wedding. So Jonathan and Mavis uh, end up getting oh, damn. There, yeah, they get it opens with their wedding, and they're celebrating their wedding at Hotel Transylvania. And Jonathan's mom and dad and family are there, and they are just overwhelmed as fuck because they're humans and (laughs) everyone else in the hotel is monsters so they're super confused but whatever it's really quick scene um they get married they kiss they do the you know the whole thing and then skip ahead we jump ahead a year later um a year later johnny and mavis are they come up and they see drac who is in his room he's painting and Johnny is like giggling like an idiot, and he's like, oh, "Mavis uh, has something to ask you. She she wants to see if you wanted to go on a flight together, which is something that they used to do before Mavis, um, you know, was an adult. Quote adult, 118, um, and they just haven't done it in a long time because they've been busy. You know, Drac runs the hotel. Mavis is now married to Johnny. Like, there's no reason." for them to be doing this together. But uh, Dracula jumps at the opportunity. He's like, hell yeah, let's go. I want to go, like, I would love to go flying with you. Let's go. So Mavis and Dracula are flying um, out around the castle, around the outside of the castle, and then they go up into the clouds and they decide to play a game that they used to play all the time when Mavis was little, uh, which is hide and go seek. And they just like kind of hide through the clouds. There's this cute thing and Dracula's like trying to get Mavis to find him. And they're flying around all fast and hiding from each other. And eventually Mavis gets winded and, you know, she can't keep up with what Dracula is doing. And Dracula goes to her side and um, 
he, you know, he's kind of bragging like, haha, you couldn't catch me. I knew I was faster than you, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's just really hard for me to keep up ever since I got pregnant. And Dracula freaks out. He gets so, he gets so excited. He's so happy that he's going to be a grandpa. He's like, holy shit. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Yay, I'm going to be a grandpa. Canonical sex in a kitchen. Love it. Yeah. Uh, So, like I said, this movie has much to do with the idea, you know, of a human and a Dracula having a baby. That's the whole point of this fucking movie. So I love the inversion. I love the girl being the vampire and the girl getting pregnant. Yeah. I love, I have no answers to any of the questions, but I love it. Yeah, nobody has any answers. <laughs> but this world makes no sense. It, it just doesn't make sense. So Dracula is super excited. Uh, he, you know, he flies up super high and he yells, I'm going to be a grandpa. And from the castle, like a mile away, Johnny yells, and I'm going to be a dad. And they're like super oh. excited, right? Oh, no. They're they're both very excited. So we jump ahead um, even further. Like, we keep moving into the future. And now we are at, basically, the delivery. And Dracula keeps trying to get into the delivery room. And the people are like, no, only the dad can be you here. Really the monsters are like, no, only you the dad can be here. You don't want to see that. So Dracula disguises himself as a nurse so he's able to be in the delivery room. Oh, God. Uh, and it's not because he, like, wants to see, like, it happen. He just sure. wants to be there when yeah, it happens. of course. Um, and he ends up being the first person who gets to hold the baby. And Mavis is just like, Dad, can I please have my kid? Right. <laughs> Could I potentially Could I please? the child? Uh, and he's like, yeah, 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 in a minute, in a minute. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Eventually he gives the kid to uh, Mavis. And they end up naming the baby Dennis, uh, which is after Jonathan's grandpa, I think. And um, Dracula nicknames him uh, Denisovich or Denisovich. Yeah, Denisovich. So that's his, quote, vampire name, right? Denisovich. (laughs) It's so good. It's adorable. (laughs) Um, So so the next 15 minutes of this movie um, go over the first couple years of his life. And Dracula is constantly waiting for his fangs to appear, for Mm. Denisovich's fangs to appear. And... They aren't. Uh, as time goes on, uh, Dennis ends up just being more and more and more normal. normal. And the conversations that um, Maeve and Johnny and Dracula just continue to have throughout this time period in the movie are maybe Dennis is just a human. Like, we've never had this experience before. We don't know. We didn't know what would happen. We didn't know if he was going to be a vampire or if he was going to be human or if he was going to be some sort of weird hybrid vampire that, you know, we had no idea because he's the, Dennis is pretty much the first ever. Yeah. So we don't know. And Dracula, he is pushing this idea that it's okay. It's okay. He's just a late fanger. Like he'll be fine. He, he will eventually get fangs. He's going to get fangs. He's a Dracula. Like there's no way he can't be a vampire. He's got thousands of years of Dracula blood running through his veins. Like, he has to be a vampire. And we are, at this point, told the rule of 
vampires and their their kids life basically um young vampires newly born vampires will have their fangs by the time they turn five if they reach their fifth birthday and they do not have fangs they aren't a vamp they, they're normal humans like they'll never get their fangs basically there's basically a just a cutoff date random arbitrary cutoff date to when he can get his fangs so um as we approach uh dennis turning four dracula is starting to get really really worried now there was some conversation earlier in the movie in a very slight moment um about dennis's like first birthday or his birth or something like that about inviting dracula's dad um to the party to the celebration i think to the baby shower is what it is um and dracula has been trying to avoid this like crazy because his dad is vlad mm. okay his dad vlad voiced by the amazing incomparable mel brooks is super oh, old school wow yeah super old school wow okay so if you know anything about mel brooks you know that at the time of this movie he would have been like 80 like he's a great he's a grandpa so dennis's great grandpa vlad uh he is i love that you totally flew under the radar any of the other important reasons why mel brooks as the name here for vlad is great being mel brooks's like entire being and existence in film and like creature and horror film like oh i love that yeah yeah no it's fucking fantastic so at the point of dennis's birth mavis wants to invite vlad to the baby shower or whatever it is and um dracula is super opposed he uses the excuse that vlad is super duper old school if he gets a whiff of a human he will kill them he will do all these crazy things like he's an intense old vampire like we cannot he can't know that Johnny is part of the family. He can't know all these mm. things. And at the time of Dennis's birth, Mavis is like, yes, that makes total sense. We can't have them around. Um, now, the closer we get to his fifth birthday, Dennis's fifth birthday, Dracula is getting more and more freaked out that he has not produced fangs. And he starts putting Dennis through these little tests to try and get him to fang like all or to become a vampire all these different things that he experienced when he was a kid um and mavis is struggling because you know she has kind of accepted the fact that dennis is likely just a human and she has enrolled him in human like preschool so dennis this young child is going to human preschool in the morning sleeping for part of the late afternoon and part of the night and then he gets up at two in the morning which is when the vampires are awake and doing their thing and is attempting to learn the way of these monsters right he's trying to learn how to fly he's trying to learn you know they're trying to get him into being a dracula essentially yeah. so drac is getting more and more concerned and Mavis is just like, Dad, you've got to accept the fact that maybe he's not that. Like, he's not one of us. He's yeah. a human. While all of this is happening, um, it is very clear that Mavis has jumped into 
mom mode Mm. And given up completely on, like, wife mode. Yeah. So Johnny is feeling super, like... Neglected. Neglected and left out. And all he wants is some alone time with Mavis. Not necessarily to do anything sexual. It's not implied that it's sexual. It's just, like, like I would love to go on a date with you. Like, let's yeah, just... Yeah, spend go- time with you. Yeah. Um, and he tries to convey that over and over again. And eventually... Him and Drac come up with the scheme that Dracula is going to watch Dennis for a week while Mavis and Johnny go visit Johnny's family in California. Because if Dennis is human, they will be moving to California. They are potentially moving to California so that Dennis can grow up around other humans and have a normal life. Because growing up at the hotel isn't going to work for them, basically. And Dracula is super sad and does not want them to leave, so he's going to try his best to make sure that Dennis becomes, like, that he fangs, basically. That his fangs drop. Johnny and Drac have devised this plan. Mavis kind of reluctantly agrees with it, and you can see throughout their entire, like, flight, and as soon as they get to California, she's freaking out, like, wanting to call Dennis immediately. You know, she's got to check in on him. She's got to check in on him. Because she has not ever been away from him. The neglect that Johnny is feeling is fucking real. Her, their kid is almost five, and they yeah. have not done anything without him. Although, if we if we're thinking statistically, it makes sense that that she's still in that mode because for her five years is nothing Mm -hmm. five years is a blank right so this is very typical still of of moms like in the first months or so of having a child yeah being very like i cannot leave the baby and it's like no but you have to you must you gotta you gotta start sometime and you gotta do it now for sure so johnny's whole job on this trip is to keep mavis distracted basically long enough that Drac can get Dennis to fang. And he does as good as he can. He goes and shows her the ocean, the beach, and she's in awe because she's never seen the Pacific Ocean. Um, He takes her to, she wants to stop at a fucking mini mart, which is (laughs) essentially a 7-Eleven. And she's blown away by the fact that she can have any of the like 75 chip options that are in like a 7-Eleven. And then... (laughs) And then she, you know, goes crazy over the fact that there's so many different Slurpees available. And she tries every single one. She drinks, like, entire Slurpees of all the different flavors of Slurpees that they have. Um, And Johnny's just like, yeah, this isn't totally weird. Like, maybe don't drink them all at once. (laughs) Because, you know, he knows what a brain freeze is. But it doesn't affect her because she's already fucking dead. Yeah. And the human world is blowing her fucking mind because she grew up in this hotel and does not have any experience in the real world, essentially. So all these just normal, everyday things we don't even think about anymore are just blowing her fucking mind. So eventually they get to Johnny's parents' house and Johnny's parents are trying We'll, we'll, we'll say they're trying. Now, in probably the best casting decision that has ever been made for an animated movie, Johnny's parents are played by Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Like, real-life power comedic couple. This. 
so much. Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman. Now, for those of you who don't know, Incredible. again, like, we're going to tie it in again to the Mel Brooks thing. So, Mel Brooks yeah. and his beautiful comedy horror mm-hmm. uh, that is Young Frankenstein was made into a musical Megan. where Megan Mullally plays uh, Mina. And it is just, like... Megan Mullally is fucking chef's kiss. She sings a song in that musical called Please Don't Touch Me that is one of the funniest things you will ever hear in your whole life. Do yourself a favor and go to wherever you listen to your music and listen to that fucking song right now. It is so funny. Megan Mullally is my Patronus. She's she's beautiful. She's incredible. Yeah. Uh, If you don't recognize her name, um, that's Karen from Will and Grace. Like, you have for and sure... And if you don't know who that is, we have problems. Yeah. You need to fix that. <laughs> That's not a me problem. That's a you problem. Yeah. Uh, so, her parents are trying. Now, in true Ron Swanson fashion, Nick Offerman's character, Johnny's dad, is very like, yeah, that's exactly what we did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. sure. Um... But he is very supportive in his kind of monotone kind of way. Johnny's mom is not. Uh, (laughs) She's trying, but she's overcompensating for the fact that she has no idea what she's doing. Yeah. Um, So they're going to have like a welcome to the neighborhood kind of party where she invites, quote, other mixed couples... So that you would feel more at home and oh, know that it's no. not just you, oh, right? No. And um, she oh, invites Jesus. she invites a couple that is a oh, it's a female like tentacle monster, like a like a squid kind of thing. There's many like of them. A Cthulhu, he's similar. Yeah, there's many of them in this movie, and a normal male, like a human male, and that's the first couple that shows up. And then the second couple... Tentacle porn. <laughs> gross. The, the <laughs> I needed to get it in somewhere. That's what she said. <laughs> the second couple is this woman and this man who looks like a lumberjack, but he's got, like, intense beard hair. And, you know, the mom invites them in and then explains why they're there, like, what this party is about. And the guy is like... Or she says, I thought you were a Sasquatch. And he... <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, what the fuck? And he's like super offended and they leave. <laughs> what? And the whole time. What? Yeah. Yeah. And the whole time that this is happening, Mavis is just like, this is really awkward. It's like you're of one race and you go to a party that is not your race. And there's like one other person of your race there that they invited because they knew you were going to be right, here. Right, like, right. Just so you're not the only one, you know? You know the, the Stardew Valley meme? Thanks, I hate it. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I, I understand that you intended this to be a gift. Yeah. It is that not is, a gift. That is for it sure, is awful. For sure what Mavis is feeling right now. And the whole, this whole interaction is, like, the mom is just like, she doesn't realize that she's saying anything weird or yeah. offensive or awkward. And Mavis is just like, this is rough like like yes you've got some problems yes i'm different but i'm not that different like you did this is fucking weird and it's only it only gets worse from there so 
the party ends. They leave. Mavis is just like, this is too weird for me. So the mom takes them up to their room to show them where they're going to be staying. And the room they're going to be staying in, I get question mark, is Johnny's old room. I don't know. It's got a bed and is like his normal room on one side. And the other side is like decorated with party decoration, like Halloween party decorations. Oh, that's incredible. So it's meant to be like the hotel. And the mom goes on this whole like... Oh, yeah, you know, I thought it would make you feel more at home. And there's just, like, this shitty little, like, light-up pumpkin and, like, these, (laughs) like, like, just imagine walking into a fucking part, like, a spirit Halloween and it's one of those. I'm not gonna lie. Just half the room is like that. She might have won me back a little bit with that decision. Oh, but see, (laughs) Mavis is seeing this as just, like, goddamn, you're racist. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it'd be like... I don't even, I'm not even going to say it. It'd be so bad if bad. you did this to someone else, like, yeah. for their specific, if we're gonna like, race with or the, whatever. Yeah, if we're going to continue with the obvious metaphor here of racism. Yeah. It, like, oh, I cannot articulate here you go. how upsetting it would be. Here you go. I'll make it less so it's not so in trouble. Um, it'd be like walking into a room... Uh, like you go over to your black friend's house, right? And you walk into the room that you're going to be staying in and there's, you know, a beautiful bed on one side and everything's great. And then the whole other side of the room is just fucking like mayonnaise. Yeah. (laughs) And you're just like, what the fuck? Perfect. It's that, but worse. (laughs) Or splattered with the... The, the white mom meme we were talking about earlier before the podcast started. Yeah. Just pictures of her face with the with the chalkboard yeah. with all yeah. of the Brindley, like... Brindley, Braxley, yeah. Br- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stop. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Aiden I'm Lee. Yeah, just fucking... Yeah, it'd be that. Um, to, you know, to make you feel more comfortable, quote, but... It doesn't make anyone feel more comfortable. It just makes them feel singled out. Yeah. So Mavis is upset by this and she goes and sits on the family's roof and Jonathan joins her and they have a conversation about what's going on and how how they feel. And Mavis realizes, oh, it's 3 a.m. in Transylvania now. I can call Dennis and I can call dad and talk to Dennis because he's awake now, right? Because he was waking up at 2 a.m. to do Dracula things. So we have seen throughout this little um, California episode that Dracula has devised a plan. He is going to take Dennis with his other friends from the last movie. So we're going to get Frankenstein and Murray the Mummy, now voiced by Keegan-Michael Key, no longer by CeeLo because CeeLo is fucking awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, what do we get? The Invisible Man and the Werewolf. I can't remember his name right. Wayne. Wayne the Werewolf. And they're all gonna go on an adventure to kind of show Dennis all their old haunts where they used to just scare the shit out of people and they're gonna teach him how to be a monster. And Frankenstein has also invited the Blob. Um, Blobby. He becomes like a fifth, sixth, however many people there are, member of this party. Um, and he joins them, but there's not space in the fucking hearse for them to be in, for him to be in. So he rides alongside the hearse to a fucking like scooter, like like the old people scooter. Oh, okay. <laughs> like a hover round. Yeah. That is attached to the side of the hearse. Like 
So okay. it's fucking weird. Interesting. But that's like a sidecar. A sidecar, essentially. But it's a hover round. It's yeah. fucking funny. So they go on this adventure and they're in the forest that surrounds the hotel. And they go to what used to be this dark and scary place that they always used to go and scare people. Uh, but it's now a fucking park. Like, it has been remade mm. over to be a nice, like, light lit up, like, walking park. And they're going to have Frankenstein go and scare some people, you know, to kind of show Dennis what it's all about. And Frankenstein hasn't really scared anybody in a while, so he kind of, like, warms up a little bit. And then he goes out and he jumps in front of these two women who are, like, on their doing a walk or a jog and he yells at them and they're like oh my god frankenstein we love you can we get a selfie and they like fucking take a selfie with him and he's like look i still got it and walks away and drac is just like god damn it like what the fuck this is not what i wanted for yeah so then they go into another part of the forest and now it's wayne's turn and wayne the werewolf is to show dennis how to kill something so you know, he's a werewolf. This should come easy for him, right? Yeah. So they see a little deer, essentially a Bambi, just oh. wandering in the forest. Oh, no. And Dracula is like, okay, Wayne, you're up. Go kill this Go kill this deer. And Wayne is like, really, man? Do I have to? Like, I don't, I don't want to. I'm oh. so out of practice. I don't even, we don't even eat this anymore. Like, why would we, why would we bother with doing this when there's Pop-Tarts? Yeah. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Yeah, and Wayne is, I mean, he tries, but he fails horribly. He, like, can't remember what he's supposed to do to kill. He, like, starts to howl at the moon. He's like, no, 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 that's that's for the moon. Um, um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I growl. And then he walks up, like, he gets kind of close to this fucking Bambi and goes, growl. (laughs) Like, he says the word fucking growl. That's amazing. (laughs) And the Bambi just, like, looks at him and then, like, (laughs) slowly walks away. And Wayne walks back to the group. And Dracula's like, did you actually say the word growl? (laughs) And Wayne is just like, yeah, dude, I'm out of practice. Like, don't get on me about this. Like, it's fine. (laughs) So things are not going as planned. Um, And Dennis, who has been, you know, his sleep schedule's been all fucked up because of this. He's asleep in the fucking car, in his car seat. And that's when the call from Mavis comes in. Mm. And Dracula is, he's talking, he's kind of like keeping the phone close to him so he can't, Mavis can't see anything else. And the invisible man is like, it's okay, dude, I got this. And he put pulls out some fucking sunglasses out of question mark place. <laughs> like, he, he, presumably he has a shirt on that is also invisible and he pulled the sunglasses out from a pocket in his shirt. But so- we don't know. There's so many metaphysical questions that I have to ask right now. Because if everything that touches the invisible man suddenly becomes invisible, how is it that the sunglasses are not still invisible even though he pulls them out of his pocket? I don't know. We don't know that he actually has a pocket. This is just a guess because I don't want to think that he pulled them out of his ass because it's a kid's movie. (laughs) I don't know that he's wearing pants. We don't know. He never wears clothes in these movies. All he wears is a regular pair of glasses. That's all we ever see of him. Okay, so you have doubt now, and this is not my doing. This is your doing. That's you could have yourself to think. You've now confirmed that they 1,000% came out of his ass. Or he threw them up as the only thing, because that's the only thing that makes sense. 
Sure. Metaphysically. Sure. Well, okay. It, it, because if he's but wearing meta, clothes But metaphysically, things, nothing in this movie makes sense. Sure. Like, like oh. people are floating on the ceiling and walking up walls and, like... But they still abide by rules. Like, there are still rules. <laughs> so, the, if rules of Invisible Man is anything that touches him turn invisible... Maybe then, he just has an invisibility cloak. We don't know. Again, like I like I said, we don't know. We don't know anything about him except that he wears glasses <laughs> and he has red hair and he has this whole movie. He has been pretending to have a girlfriend and he keeps like holding two wine glasses and pretend talking to somebody. It's fucking hilarious. But she's not important to this movie. <laughs> she's also invisible, I guess. Yes. Okay. He has an invisible girlfriend. Okay. Like and sure. At one point in the movie, sure. whatever. At, at one point in the movie, like all the rest of the group knows that he's faking it but they can't bring it up because the current situation with dennis is way more important right and at one point fucking i think frankenstein played by kevin james like says something like oh yeah your girlfriend like is she from canada it's just like the funniest shit (laughs) (laughs) it's the funniest like offhanded fucking insult just spit on myself (laughs) it's so fucking funny uh, so, anyways, the Invisible Man is like, it's cool, dude, I got this, just trust me. And he pulls out a pair of sunglasses, and he puts them on Dennis's face, and then he picks Dennis up, like, and it, it is moving Dennis like he's walking, right? Because he's invisible, so he's not going to show up on the phone. Right. And he, you know, does the voiceover for Dennis uh, while he's talking to his mom, you know. And Mavis just like, uh, honey, are you okay? You sound different. You're, you know, you're... It doesn't sound like you. Is everything fine? Yeah. And Dracula's like, oh, oh, they're static. Gotta go. And like, cuts off the Bye. call. And Johnny's Johnny is like there to comfort Mavis. And he's like, I'm sure everything's fine, your honey. Like your dad's your dad's got this. He's he'll be fine. Everything's fine. So Dracula at this point is just like super upset because you know nothing has happened. So finally, it's Murray's turn, the mummy, and. He's like, okay, here's what you're going to do. We're going to go out to this big open area in the forest and you're going to conjure up a giant sandstorm and you're going to show, you're going to show little Dennis here or Denisovich how to like fucking enchant some shit. You're going to use your magic and do all these things. And he's like, okay, but it's been a long time just warning you like I might be out of practice. So they go to this field and uh, Murray is doing his spell and while he does his spell he has to like move his body in all these specific ways mm. almost like a hieroglyph like it's fucking fun like the, the animation in this moment is really fucking cool and dennis is just like losing his mind he's like dancing along with him because he thinks it's like a dance Funny, yeah. um because he's saying all these like quote magic words as it's happening that kind of sound like a song like it would om- it was it's almost sing-songy and Murray gets towards the end of his spell and throws his back out, right? Because he's old. (laughs) Because he's hella old. And he throws his back out and falls over and was only able to conjure up, like, a little pile of sand. Um, But his little pile of sand, like, Dennis is like, oh, my God, that was so cool, Uncle Murray. And he, like, builds a little tiny sand snowman or a sand man. And then the other uncles are just like, oh, yeah, let me, you know, they put in the eyes and they put in the nose because they're just like, it's cool if Dennis is not a monster. They're fine with it. But Dracula. The only person who's not fine with it is Dracula. Yeah, Dracula is just not cool with it. So now Dracula has hit 
he's hit the end of his rope. He's like, okay, now we're going to the place where I learned to be the scary Dracula that I am. And they take him to Camp Winnie Pacaca, which is... Winnie the, the Pooh? No, Winnie Pacaca. It's like a... Just a horrible camp name. You know how, like, summer camps were all named after just, like, a horrible whitewashing of actual uh, Native American words? Yes. Yes. So, he went to this camp when he was, like, this summer camp when he was a kid uh, that basically taught him how to be a vampire. There were all these different things that they would do. Uh, like, they learned to chase and capture mice, Man, which is... where was that camp when I was a kid? I want to fucking go to vampire camp. <laughs> right. Fuck. Yeah, so they learned how to, like, chase and capture mice, and they learned how to fly at this camp, and they learned all these different things. Um, and the way that they would do it when Drac was a kid, and he goes through a little montage of what he remembers of this camp, is they would, like, set them loose into the forest, and they would have to hunt a specific mouse and bring it back and kill it. Um, and then for flying lessons, there was this huge, 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 like, hundreds and hundreds of feet tower at this camp that he would have to jump they would have to jump off of and turn into a bat and fly which is you know he loved it and that's how he learned so they go to this camp and it has been renovated and it is a modern camp for vampire kids so we meet this camp counselor who i don't even know how to describe it it's kind of like hipstery i guess i would describe it not Mm. even really that he's just like modern day health regulations and all these different things so he's he's following all the camp rules as much as he can and the camp rules have had to change because of insurance right sure so now the vampires don't hunt mice they play tea mice and they put a mouse on top of uh, like a t-ball stand and the little vampires come up and grab their mice and that's how they quote catch mice And then they go to learn how to fly, and they're on, like, a regular size play structure. Like, imagine the little play structures that you see in people's backyards, the little wooden play structures. They're on one of those and jumping off into some, like, and someone's at the bottom to catch them. Yeah. It's, like, it's very, very watered-down version. Safe. It's very safe because of insurance practices. And the guy, like, even explains that. Like, we can't do any of the old stuff because the insurance rates were just we cannot, unfortunately, insane. just throw children off of huge towers and hope for yeah. the best. Yeah. It's just insanity. So then they're at the campfire and the camp counselor is singing this song about how vampires are friends forever. And, you know, oh, it's this really very, cute. it's this very like sing-songy, beautiful campfire song about friends forever and the end of it is like literally forever because we never die but like it's amazing it's fucking adorable and all the little kids are super into it um and like murray and frankie and all the other monsters are super into it and drac is just fucking pissed yeah and at the end the camp counselor is like okay everybody you know give yourself a hug and they're all like hugging each other and all the other monsters are hugging each other, and Dracula's just like, what the fuck? And he snatches Dennis up, and they leave. And the other monsters follow, and they go to the giant tower that is condemned. It is, like, around, oh, like, no. there are, like, fences around it and all these different things. 
They go to the giant tower and they climb all the way to the top and it's rickety as fuck. Like Frankenstein is a big ass dude. Uh, and it is like swaying in the wind when he walks up at the top. Um, but the other monsters are like trying to talk him out of it. Like, dude, dude, me, don't do you this. know, it's okay if Dennis is just a human. It will be fine. We will, it'll be okay. Yeah. And Dracula doesn't want to hear it. He's like, no, he's just a late fanger. It's fine. Like, I promise flying is going to make him do it. Like, I promise that's the thing that's going to do it. And they can't really stop him. And he pushes or throws uh, Dennis off of this giant tower. And Dennis is super excited that he's going to learn how to fly, right? He has, but he's like, yes, I'm going to be a vampire. Hooray, hooray. He's super excited. And he goes flying and he's like, yay, right? For the first, like, hundred feet question mark right for a lot of time he's yelling yay and then he starts screaming in terror yeah. and he's screaming and screaming and screaming and the other monsters are like drac he's not flying you yet need you need to, to do, you need to save him, him. he's not flying yet and everyone's freaking out and the tension 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 builds and while this is happening the other campers have all gathered around the bottom of the tower and are recording this on their phone all the little kids have pulled out their phone and are videotaping what the fuck is happening oh jesus okay so it finally gets down to a point where Dracula's like, fuck, he's not going to turn. And he jumps off and he flies down, turns into bat form and catches Dennis and saves him. Hooray. Now, when he saves him, this video gets put online. Yeah. And goes viral, right? This is a fucking five-year-old kid jumped off a hundred foot tower, got saved by Dracula. Like That's huge internet news, Correct. right? Yes. So... We know that it's now on YouTube or wherever. Then this rickety ass tower falls over because there shouldn't there have been people on, it. people on there it. There shouldn't yeah. have been people on it at all. But it falls over and it lands in one of the cabins uh, or it lands near the campfire and Frankenstein gets set on fire. Oh no. Oh And no. freaks out because yes. he's afraid of fire and he runs through the like all the buildings in the camp screaming on uh, fire on fire so the whole camp catches on fire oh jesus and all the other monsters are just yelling at him like stop drop and roll like it's it's fine like stop yeah um and then you know everyone's just like freaking out dennis is so happy that he's safe dracula is so happy that he's safe um and there, the fire department comes, and then Mavis calls, of course, right at the most inopportune time. And Mavis starts explaining or starts asking what's going on. Are those sirens? Are these all these other things? And she reveals, or we, found, we have already found this out, but then she reveals to Dracula, I saw the video. Mm -hmm. I'm coming home to Transylvania right now. And we're moving to California. Like, that's it. You haven't, ex you won't accept that he's human, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're go we're moving to California. That's yeah. it. It's done. So Dracula's like, holy shit, no. Because, of course, somebody sent the video straight to Johnny. Of course. <laughs> and Johnny was like, oh, shit, look at this daredevil kid. And maybe it's like, is that John? Is that Dennis? He's like, oh, oh, nope, 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 it wasn't. He's trying to hide her his phone from oh, her. Jesus. So, of course, she finds out. Now it's a race back to the hotel. There's a montage scene here, kind of, where Dracula is trying to 
make his way home, but their car gets busted in the whole mishap at the camp. So they call Blobby, who got lost, like his fucking sidecar scooter thing, like got hit by something and fell off, like before they made it to the camp. And they call Blobby and they all get on the back of this fucking like Vespa, essentially, this easy (laughs) hover round and start making their way back to the hotel. And Mavis goes to the airport and immediately asks, you know, she's trying to get flights. And of course, there are no direct flights. It would take hella long. And she's just like, you know what? Fuck it. And she puts on like a sombrero over her head and a poncho. And then she turns into a bat and she picks up Johnny and they fucking fly across. Amazing. Across the ocean. to Probably what I would do in her position. <laughs> yeah. To get back to the hotel. So now it's just a race, and they're going, they're going, they're going, and finally, Dracula gets to the hotel, and he calls Mavis immediately as soon as he gets to the hotel, and he's like, maybe, maybe, when are you going to be here? You know, we're just hanging out at the hotel, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? Mavis answers the phone, she's on the steps of the hotel right behind him, Um, and she's like, where the fuck have you been, basically? And, you know, she yells at him that this is bullshit and we're leaving. And she basically says, we will stay until his party on Wednesday because he's turning five and there's a big party plan. But after that, we're leaving. So Dracula is like, God damn it. I, okay, there's nothing I can do. It's not my kid. Johnny's disappointed. I did, in fact, throw him off of a yeah. tower. Yeah. This is maybe deserved. Um, Johnny is super disappointed as well because, as it turns out, Johnny super loves the Hotel Transylvania. It's the yeah. only place where he, quote, gets to be himself. Aww. And he does not want to leave. Mavis is the one who wants to leave for Dennis's sake. But Johnny yeah. is prepared to spend the rest of his life in the hotel. So the party happens. Um, the day of the party is like upon us and we're talking about, um, Mavis is telling Dennis about all the people who are going to be there and how exciting it's going to be. And he, she explains to Dennis, oh yeah, you know, your daddy's whole family is coming. All his aunts and uncles and cousins and your grandma and grandpa are coming and all these different things. And, uh, grandpa Vlad is coming and Dracula is like, what you didn't tell what she's like oh yeah i invited him you know we're gonna we're leaving transylvania but he needed to meet his great-grandson like he deserved to meet his great-grandson and dracula dracula immediately goes into panic worry mode because like i mentioned before vlad is old school he is a hundred percent an eat human like type person yeah And we get a little throwback, back in time moment here, where we see great grandpa Vlad in his cave. He opens, he goes to his mailbox, which is right on the outside of his cave, and takes out the invitation and finds out he's a great grandpa, which he did not know about to this point, because Dracula has been avoiding it. And he finds out, and he finds out that he is invited, and he finds out that it's at a hotel and he's like ugh gross that's bougie blah 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 Mm. and um vlad lives in a cave with these other giant fucking bats and they are not like regular bats they're like humanoid bats question mark possibly vampires that just 
can no longer turn can no out longer of be humans. They're just, yeah, they're yeah. just like super giant bats. And who that's creepy. And he, yeah, I and his like best it. friend, what, what we assume is his best friend, is immediately skeptical of the whole situation. He's like, at a hotel, there's gonna be humans there. Great, let's go fucking kill them. Like, the bats in his cave are super feral, right? Yeah. And Vlad is like, yes, I agree. Like, let's. Let's, if there's humans there, let's kill them for sure. But, like, i got to go for my great-grandson. So him and his, quote, best friend bat, I guess, they go to the party and they show up. And meanwhile, Drac, who has been freaking out that this is going to happen, immediately decides and pulls Johnny aside and is like, listen, my dad is super old school, like, will kill you and all of your family without hesitation type vampire. We need to make this a costume party. We're going to make this a masquerade. Your whole family is going to dress up as monsters, and we are going to try and pretend and trick everyone that they are monsters so my dad does isn't any wiser yeah. on the situation. Okay, we have to do this. So they create this premise that the party is a masquerade, and everyone's like, hell yeah, let's do it. So Johnny's entire family except for some of the kids, dress up like zombies. And they're, like, walking around weird, and they're groaning, and all these things. It's passable. Mm. Um, And a couple of the other kids are dressed up as, like, weird monsters, because they're kids. There's, you know, lots of costume options for them, basically. And Johnny is dressed up like, quote, Bram Stoker's Dracula um, from the 1992 movie. Uh, Is he, though? From the the movie. movie. So he's got, like, this big red, bright red robe with, like, gold accents on it. And he has the, like, boob hair. Yeah. Like, the big butt-looking hair. And he's trying to perfect his, quote, vampire accent. So so he's now... Yeah, he's now, uh, what is it? Count Johnny or Johnny Count or something like that. Johnny Count. Something like that. Like, he comes up with some vampire name. And just, Dracula's like, bro, that's not, you thought I didn't like the blah, blah, blahs? Like, my dad is going to kill you if you say the blah, blah, blah to him. Please don't. So Johnny figures it out, and he's like, okay, I I will try not to do that. And immediately, of course, as soon as Grandpa arrives, he does that. And Grandpa's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. And all he wants to do is meet Denisovich, right? So he gets up to Denisovich and sees that he hasn't fanged yet and doesn't really think too much of it. He's like, it's okay. Oh, sorry. He also makes his crazy bat friend stay outside. He's like, I was the only one invited, so just hang out outside, like, and I'll, as soon as the party's over, we'll leave. So, sorry, that's important to later. Yeah. And... So he's like, it's okay that his fangs haven't dropped. I'm sure they'll come. You know, you were a late fang or two. It's fine. Uh, and he's just like, it'll it'll be okay. Um, and all these different things. I'm sh- you know, I'm sure you'll change. And basically, in that transaction, kind of calls humans freaks or something like that. And the mom and dad are standing right behind him and are like, what are you talking about? Humans aren't freaks. And then they reveal that they're human. And 
Johnny is revealed Why? to be human as well. And Vlad is like, what the fuck? And immediately his back friend, who is outside at the time, realizes this and is like, oh shit. The, like this, He's like looking in through it's a window or something. Down. He's like, this shit's about to get wild. And all of the fucking parents, like family, including maybe and... Uh, Dracula and Grandpa, just everyone is like arguing and fighting and all these different things. And Mavis is trying to get it through everyone's head that it doesn't fucking matter if he's just ordinary. And I mean, sure, but maybe not the appropriate moment to have this conversation. Yeah. Maybe the the better time to have this conversation is after we like save all of the humans currently in the vicinity yeah. from well, the bloodthirsty. Well, vampire. actually, Vlad. At this point, Vlad is not super like bloodthirsty it's weird he's he's so old to the point that it doesn't seem like he gives a fuck about that specific thing he's more concerned about dennis Mm. and like his future and all these different things about what's going to happen because they he finds out mavis explains that they're moving to california and like he's going to grow up normal so that explodes everything and everyone's yelling and arguing about the whole situation and dennis is just like wow, I'm a burden on this family. I'm going to leave, basically. And the five-year-old, the five-year-old walks out of the castle. Oh, no. Now, I have not mentioned this yet because I just forgot, honestly, but his best friend is Winnie, the very small, young werewolf pup. That helped out in the first movie. She is his best friend. She is in love with him. Oh, that's really cute. And she is constantly, like, she always calls Dennis her zing. She did her just constantly, like, it's okay, my zing. You're so so sweet, my zing. Like, and they're (laughs) just. really cute. Yeah, it's just like. Like five year olds just being in love, it's like Amazing. the it's the cutest, silliest, it's adorable. So it's like it's adorable. Um, but Winnie like follows him out and like they talk and she's like, You can't go into the forest alone, that's not safe, I'll go with you. <laughs> so they go into the forest together and Dennis is set on trying he's like trying to make himself fang, basically, or he's gonna run away because he can't fang, basically. He's like, I'm I'm not right for this family or something you know he just feels really fucking down on himself now vlad's bat friend watches them leave and follows them and is like oh well there's a human i'm gonna kill it uh and it's a little one so that's gonna be easy so his vampire or his bat friend vlad's bat friend goes and follows them into the forest, and they get kind of deep into the forest, and then he attacks them. Mm-hmm. He attacks uh, Dennis, and they start talking, like, you know, he starts giving a spiel about how you don't deserve to be a vampire and all these other things, and he's like, that's fine, I'm normal, like, I don't care that I'm normal or whatever, it's fine. Um, and Winnie, seeing her man in trouble, attacks the bat, right? Now, the bat is fuck grown okay this is a grown question mark person uh and he just like kicks winnie off and like she hits a tree and whimpers on the ground and immediately when this happens dennis gets 
fucking livid pissed and his fangs drop down. Fuck and, yeah, bitch! And he fights this grown ass bat. Hell yeah, bitch! <laughs> oh, fuck! I'm so happy right now! Oh, man. Yeah. So, Ugh. at the same time that this encounter is happening, all of the grown-ups at the party realize that Dennis is missing and a search party starts. And they're, uh, you know, Drac and Mavis and Vlad have all turned into bats. They're flying around searching for him. Everyone else has run into the forest. They're all searching for them. Um, and this fight is going down between Dennis and the bat. And Dennis is kicking this bat's ass because Hell he is... Yeah fucking mad he turns into a bat he's flying around he's doing all these like juke moves he's he hypnotizes it at a certain point um and all the grown-ups come in right after the bat makes this like wild ass bat call and calls all his evil bat friends from the cave from everywhere the corners of the earth what the fuck so all the other grown-ups show up and they're like holy crap that's amazing. You finally turned. Like, of course you were going to turn. Like, hooray. And then all these other bats show up and everybody is fighting these grown-ass bats. So Vlad and Drac and Mavis and all of everyone is fighting. They're hypnotizing things. They're throwing them up in the air with their super strength and doing all this wild shit. And it is just like this great, beautiful family moment. Um... And then they get back to the hotel after they beat all of the things and they explain what happened to all the humans. Or no, I think all the humans eventually like make it to the forest because they were also searching for Dennis. Sure. Um, and they explain, Dennis is now a vampire. Now we're staying at the hotel. And Johnny is over the moon excited. Dennis is over the moon excited because he didn't want to leave anyways, right? What five-year-old yeah. wants to fucking move from their house yeah, exactly. that they've been at their whole life? Uh, and Mavis, though she wanted to move, was really uncomfortable in the human world, so she's very thankful yeah. that they don't have to move. And that's the end of the movie. Everyone's happily ever after. Okay, but I need you to inform me that Winnie is okay. Winnie is fine. Oh, Jesus yes. Christ. We didn't talk about it again. Sorry. And sorry. I was really scared. She didn't, sorry. She didn't die. I, I did forget to mention that. Okay, so let me go back. Stop. Stop. It's okay. Let me go back. So. She gets let's hit. See. So the she bat. whimpering. So the bat makes the call to his other bats, right? And um, Dennis kicks the shit out of the lead bat. And as soon as he kicks the shit out of the lead bat, he goes over to Winnie to see if she's okay. And she is okay. And they, uh, you know, she basically says, you're the love of my life. And all these, like, you know, these cutes, like, you're my zing and all these different things. And he he basically reciprocates as much as he can as, like, a five-year-old. He's like, yes, we're going to be friends. Like, we're friends forever. We're, you know, we're whatever, soulmates. Whatever garbage sure. five-year-olds say. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's basically it. <sighs> I did forget one kind of major part, but it's fine. Watch the movie. <laughs> okay. That was good. Yeah, there is a part where when Vlad comes to the party, he is like, it's okay, you're a late fanger. And then he's like, we'll just do it how I did it with you. Which is just to scare the shit out of you, and that made your fangs drop. Oh. So we'll take something that he loves and make it scary. Now, at this 
party. For all intents, Dennis is a normal-ass kid. So his favorite thing in the world right now, at four, right. um, is a monster, a la Sesame Street, named Cakey, who, like, sings songs on YouTube and eats cake. Yeah. Okay? He's essentially kind of Cookie Monster-ish. Right. I was going to say and, he's Cookie Monster. And they have planned to have a Cakey at this party, right? Some guy in a costume that's going to dress up as Cakey and, like, do a little dance thing. So... Vlad is basically like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to scare the shit. Uh, fucking kid. I'm going to scare the shit out of this kid. So he possesses Cakey and, like, makes it do all this weird shit. And Dennis is just like, "Was is Cakey okay? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's oh, like a no. whole, it's just the whole thing. Like, so I missed the Cakey part, but that's, that's not right. so important for the rest of the story. It's yeah. just like, you know, the older vampires being dicks about the whole situation. All right. Seven word synopsis on Bram Stoker's Dracula, the second half. Number one, as with all things, woman fix shit. The woman always there. Mina getting shit done. Lot there's lots of moments that oh, if the men like just you know considered women as equals and like considered them more than just like the things that we have to make sure that we protect at all costs and otherwise don't have any brains inside them things would have just gone a lot better quicker than the situation and my second one for it is is dracula attila the hun my question (laughs) and if you know anything about attila the hun attila the hun supposedly died from a really bad bloody nose in his sleep have some questions about that. Mm, see, I feel like more accurately, he probably died from an STD, STI, because um, Attila the Hun also like raped many, 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 many women. Yeah. <laughs> Across the world, as he was conquering their territories, so like the likelihood that he also had like. Probably syphilis and gonorrhea and herpes and, like, HIV and, like, he probably had all of them. All um, So, that's probably what killed him. Or he was covered in blood and had to pretend that he was dead because it's actually Dracula. That's maybe my point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> Those are my two seven-word synopses. You're welcome. Four dudes... Execute, horrible plan, kill Dracula. Nice. (laughs) Horrible plan. Yeah, it's always like, okay, new plan. All right, wait, never mind. New plan. It was just, every plan was fucking horrible. Every time. Even the last one, where they actually ended up killing him, was like, a real bad Barely thought out. Like, y'all did not think that far ahead. You were just like, you know what? We're just going to follow him, and then we're going to, (laughs) like... We'll start do it. A, we'll, we'll figure it out. Start a gunfight and like you know, hopefully none of us die. Like <laughs> fuck it. It was not well thought out. No, it was not for sure not well thought out. All right, seven word synopsis: Hotel Transylvania two. So atypical as the word, the one word atypical. Yeah, atypical vampire story on first hybrid baby. Because there's always like a typical like. 
a big trope in vampire stories is what happens when the vampire mates with the human and the baby? What is happening with the baby? Does the baby have powers? Is the yeah. baby the Antichrist? We have all these questions. For sure, demon. And then my second one is Puritans think Johnny and Mavis is pedophilic, probably. Wait, what? Puritans. Oh, Puritans. Yeah. yeah, uh, that's just me poking fun at all of you antis out there because, like, y'all need to, like, figure your shit out. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's a completely fictional world. Like, we're talking the most fucking fictional because it's a goddamn cartoon and these are characters that. I guarantee you they would still have a Don't exist. With it. Oh, yeah. Well, she's. She's 118 and Johnny is 21. So, like, that's a big ass age gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't fuck. The, they're the same because vampires age slower. I guess. I don't know. I mean, also, even if the age gap was humongous, they're both still adults. Is the is the whole point? But Johnny would be, Johnny would be kid quote kid coded or something stupid. Yeah, garbage. <laughs> okay, so my synopsis for Hotel Transylvania is: it's okay. He's just a late fanger. Yay! That's the whole plot of this movie. I really was questioning whether or not he was going to become it. And yeah. my joy and screaming when it happened were real. Yeah. Just to so, be clear, yeah. I don't pretend any of my emotions no, we, on this podcast. They are a roller coaster all the time. It's actually really interesting <laughs> that it took like for Drac to get his fangs, it took like something, something scaring, scaring him. him. But for for Dennis, it wasn't necessarily scared, though I'm sure he was scared for Winnie in that moment. It was anger. Yeah. It was just, like, pure anger and hate that yeah. made him just, like, fuck this. Rage out. Yeah. Alright, well, we hope you have enjoyed this episode. <laughs> if you're interested in following more of the show or checking out the other awesome shows on the Allentown Presents Network, you can check us out on Twitter at Allentown Pod or on Facebook at Allentown Presents. Do you want to suggest a book or a movie for us to cover? Let us know. You can send your questions, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at allentownpresents at gmail.com. I don't know why I'm dancing like there's music. The best way to support our show is by liking, following, subscribing, rating, and or reviewing us on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, because following, rating, and reviewing helps small podcasts like us spread and get the word out. The other best way to support us is by recommending us to people you know whom you think may enjoy it. We'd like to thank our icon artist, Susan Dorda. Susan Dorda may be not a late fanger. I was going to say, like, is the best late fanger. And then I was like, is that an insult? Would I be insulting <laughs> Susan in that moment? And I had to, like, change course mid-comment. But the point is, is we love you no matter if you're a late fanger or not, Susan Dorda. <laughs> I would rage out and late fang for you. Oh, my gosh. You're our zing. Yeah. Sarah, that's there we go. You're our zing. Uh, yeah, you can check her artwork out at SusanDorta.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-D-O-R-T-A dot com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. It's been real. Keep it lit. Bye. Bye.